Certain even other Nazis hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> anyway. I think the White Dragon even hates Illinois Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. So, uh, and welcome back, everybody, to uh, It Came from Cleveland, episode 34 ish, something, 35 ish. 35. 35, there we go, for January 28th, the last show of January of 2022. Uh, and then it'll edge into. The, a month of romance in February and talk nothing but Valentine's Day. Bullshit. Um, so. Oh, crappies. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and, of course, oh, we'll, yeah, welcome back, uh, Michelle. Oh, very excited. We're going to talk about Joe Bob Briggs with you later. That's very exciting. we got a great hour oh, yeah. set up. And, uh, Miles, welcome to you. Uh, we're going to get you in early into segment two of tonight's show because you got some... Uh, you gotta, you're going to paddle us up river on a story, right? Indeed. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> and uh, last but certainly not least, uh, our resident funny man and uh, co-host, co-host of the Tim Coromel Show, uh, Joe Santorsa. And uh, you're going to be talking about uh, another funny man this, this evening, and you're going to kick the show off tonight. Well, let me kick it. Right in, never Right in the... Right in the... Taint. Right in the... Yeah. Yeah. Right in the crotch. <laughs> so, right in the Jim Croce. Oh, there you go. So, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, just don't mess around with uh, Jim. Jim. Yeah. Belushi. <laughs> right. No, John. John. Oh, yeah. Don't mess with Jim, though. It would, we'll talk about John. Uh, no. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, yeah. Go ahead and get us started here, Joe. Okay. Well, apologies to Jim Croce. But. <laughs> To the west side of Chicago is the baddest part of town, and if you go down there, you better just beware of a man named John Belushi. That's right. John Adam Belushi was born on January 24th, 1949, in Humboldt Park, a neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. Not the south side. Nope. Now, Belushi started his own comedy troupe in Chicago, the West Compass Trio, with Tino Insana and Steve Beshikas, their success peaked in the in, peaked the interest of Bernard Salines, the founder of the Second City Improv. Mm. And he and he, he went to see them performing in 1971. Asked Belushi to join the cast, and at Second City, that's where John met and began working with people you might have heard of: Harold Ramis, maybe Joe Joe Flaherty. A little bit. <laughs> and Brian Doyle Murray. Oh, yeah. Just a tad. 
Yeah. So in 1972, Belushi started working as a writer, director, and actor for the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which was a comedy radio show which was created, produced, and by the staff of the National Lampoon Magazine, which I love. Yeah. Cast members on the shows produced by Belushi uh, included Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray. You might have heard of some of these people too. Gilda Radner. Uh huh. Christopher. Uh, uh, yeah, she's 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 somewhat familiar. Okay, Christopher <laughs> Guest. Oh. And one Richard Belzer. Oh wow! I didn't know Belzer yes. was part of that. Yeah, so during a trip to Toronto to check out the local Second City cast, in 1974, he met another, uh, you know, guy that you might have heard of. His name was Dan Aykroyd. I, I've actually, uh, he's a nobody. I actually nobody. met him once, and he's a, quite, he's a gentleman. Is he? Yeah, he's a nice I li- guy. I like, to, I like to hear that. Yeah. In 1975, he, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, he uh, every time he would roll into town when I used to work for the House of Blues, uh, he, of course, was a stakeholder and uh, one of the founders of House of Blues. And mm-hmm. uh, every time he would roll into town, he would buy everybody, uh, off-duty staff, uh, treat everybody to rounds of Crystal Head Vodka Martinis, which is a, nice. really, a really expensive... Uh, Vodka that he has a stake in. <laughs> oh, that's why I yeah. like it so much. Yeah. Yay! And I got Good. to talk I to like... him about UFOs because he's he he uh he's seen UFOs. Oh, I like to hear that of celebrities. I hate when I hear celebrities are asshole. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, in 1975, Chase and writer Michael O'Donoghue recommended Belushi to one. Lorne Michaels as a potential member for a television show Michaels was thinking about doing. Wasn't sure. He called it NBC's Saturday Night and later changed the name to Saturday Night Live. I don't know why. Anyway, (laughs) Michaels was initially undecided whether he was going to hire Belushi because he didn't think his like physical humor would fit in with what he was envisioning. Um, but after he gave Belushi an audition, he was in, as you know. So, for his four, he was had a four-year tenure at tenure at uh, Saturday Night Live, and he did develop a series of successful characters you might all remember, including one belligerent samurai Fatuba, uh-huh. <laughs> Henry Kissinger, Ludwig von Beethoven, and one of my favorites. And coming up in the next clip, the Greek owner of the Olympia Cafe, Pete <laughs> Dianasopoulos. <laughs> clip one. I'll have a tuna salad sandwich and an order of french fries, please. No, no tuna. You're out of tuna? No tuna. Cheese like this? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We got LT. We ain't got LT. Okay, we got to start over. Start over. Okay, what are you going to have? Uh, I think I'll have grilled cheese and a Coke. Uh, grilled cheese? No, I'm gonna cheese. No, grilled cheese. Uh, cheeseburger and a Coke. Uh, no Coke, uh, Pepsi. Okay, uh, Pepsi and French fries. No fries, cheap. Okay, cheap. One cheeseburger, one Pepsi, one cheap. Cheeseburger. Pepsi, cheap. What do you want? I have a cheeseburger and a small Coke. Uh, 
No, no Coke, uh, Pepsi. Pepsi. One cheeseburger, one Pepsi. Cheeseburger. Pepsi. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Four Pepsi, two cheap. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. <laughs> two Pepsi, one cheap. Hi, Yuki. Hi. I'll have the usual. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. <laughs> hey, yes. I get mixed up. Is he your brother? Him? No. Yes. My brother Mike, he's in the back there. George here is uh, my first cousin. I treat him like a brother. Sandy, she's my second cousin. Uh, I treat him like a first cousin. Him, him, I treat. He's, a, he's my third cousin. I treat like a fourth cousin because he's a uh, Rahos. You know Rahos? You know what I mean? What? I mean stupid. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Two chips. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. One Pepsi. Two, two chips. One Pepsi. Uh, what to drink? I'll have a small orange. No orange today. What do you have? Pepsi. Oh, okay. Okay. Pepsi! 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 Cheeseburger, 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 cheeseburger. No, no price. Cheeps. Four cheeps. Four cheeps. Four cheeps. I want to drink. Pepsi. No coke. No orange. No grape. Pepsi. Four Pepsi. Okay, ten minutes. All right. Four Pepsi. Pepsi, 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 Pepsi. I'll have a couple of eggs and uh, a couple of egg sausage. Uh, is that the link sausage or patty? Link? Link? Uh, link sausage. Eggs, go politely. Uh, a large orange juice and coffee. Thank you. Cheeseburger? No, uh, I, I don't want a cheeseburger. Uh, uh, eggs, a couple of eggs. Egg, eggs, a couple of eggs. And all politely with sausage, cafe. Cafe? No, 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 it's cheese right here. When you stop serving breakfast? No, no breakfast. No breakfast? No. Alright, I just want a couple of eggs. No breakfast, cheese right here. That's Robert Klein. Come on, come on, come on, don't give me that. Come on, let's go, let's go. We gotta have turn We want a cheeseburger? Come on, everybody got a cheeseburger. You want a cheeseburger? Come on, cheeseburger. I don't want a cheeseburger. It's too early for a cheeseburger. Too early for a cheeseburger? Look. Cheeseburger, 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 Eggs. All right. Scramble. All right, scramble. All right. What do you think? Uh, Coke. No Coke. Pepsi. Pepsi. One Pepsi. One Pepsi. Pepsi. Ah, uh, very limited menu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cheeseburger. <laughs> Pepsi. Cheap. <laughs> now it. I want a cheeseburger. No. Because that's like my favorite. That was Robert Klein, by the way. Ordering the breakfast. That's hysterical. So now that's that's an absolute classic. I remember that from when I was a kid. Just uh, loved it. Well, 
Belushi uh, had some other characters, uh, like James T. Kirk. Thanks, uh, Michelle, for the for the. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> and uh, he he was also a contributor, uh, a furious contributor on uh, Weekend Update. Uh, he always ended up on the floor, uh, and he had that catchphrase, which you can play clip two real quick. Clip two. Yeah. But no. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I did pick, and, and uh, thanks, Michelle, again for uh, picking the right gif, because here is on clip three, Jim Belushi on Weekend Update interviewing Olga Corbett, played by one Gilda Radner. Oh, yes, cool. <laughs> during the 1976 Olympics, clip three. Of course, the biggest story of the 1976 Olympics uh, continues to be Nadja Comaneci, the Romanian gymnast who has captured the hearts of millions, as well as three Olympic gold medals, or five at this point, I believe. The 14-year-old Pixie has surprised everyone with a success and has replaced Russia's Olga Corbett, the darling of the last Olympiad, who was the heavy favorite to repeat that this year. Weekend Update has an exclusive interview with Mrs. Corbett, uh, Miss Corbett now, live from our studios in Montreal, along with our correspondent, John Belushi. Can you hear me, John? Uh, yes, I do, Chevy. Uh, good. Can you please say hello to Olga and welcome her to Update? Yeah. Olga, Rostiski Pronoki Update. Nitsky, Nitsky. She says she's very happy to be here. Well, John, we know that Olga must be terribly disappointed and crushed by Nadia's success. Olga's was the favorite to win, and now out of nowhere, Nadia comes along, wins the medals, becomes the darling of everyone, and Olga is left alone, a crushed, forgotten, satin figure at a has-been at the age of 21. But in the true Olympic spirit, John, could Olga tell us how she feels about the success of this wonderful 14-year-old Nadia? I would like to take that balance beam and stick it in her eye. She says she, says she likes and admires Nadia very much and wishes nothing but good luck in the future. Well, thank you very much, John, and thank you, Olga. The oh my. <laughs> Stick it in her eye. <laughs> oh, the look, so the look on her face in that is hysterical. I, I know she was. So, I loved Gilda Radner. Yeah, we so, lost her way too early. Way That's too a shame. early. And Jim John Belushi too. But yep. In 1978, Belushi performed in films such as Old Boyfriends, Going South, directed by Jack Nicholson. Oh. And Nash yeah, National Lampoon's Animal House, directed by John Landis. That's right. Now, Animal House was filmed for $2.8 million and is, turns out to be one of the most profitable movies in history. It garnered $141 million for a $2.8 million investment. Wow. And that did not include merchandising. Uh... The writers were Doug Kenny, you might remember, mm -hmm. Harold Ramis, Chris Miller, and uh, they loved the Marx Brothers, and that's what they they followed that kind of formula, which uh, was subversive and satirical plots that took on traditional institutions, 
like the ROTC. <laughs> That's true. And in one of the most famous scenes of the movie, John Bluto Blutarski, <laughs> John Belushi, gives one of the most, what I think is one of the most memorable, inspirational speeches in movie history. Well, by the way, Miles, you might pick up one confusion about who attacked Pearl Harbor. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> clip, clip four. Hey! What's this lying around shit? Well, what the hell is supposed to do, you moron? War's over, man. Wormer dropped the big one. What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Forget it, he's rolling. <laughs> it ain't over now. Because when the going gets tough, <laughs> the tough get going. Who's with me? Let's go. Come on. Hey! <laughs> he runs out of the room. Nobody follows. Comes back in. <laughs> What the fuck happened to the Delta I used to know? <laughs> Where's the spirit? Where's the guts? Huh? This could be the greatest night of our lives. But you're gonna let it be the worst. Oh, we're afraid to go with you, Bluto. We might get in trouble. Well, just kiss my ass from now on! Not me! I'm not gonna take this! Psychotic, but absolutely right. We gotta take these bastards. Now, we could fight them with conventional weapons. That could take years and cost millions of lives. <laughs> no, in this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and they are. <laughs> and they were. <laughs> so in 79, Belushi leaves Saturday Night Live with Aykroyd to film a l- obscure movie called the blues Brothers. that's right which sort of conflicted with the shooting of the saturday night live so they left and they made two movies together after leaving neighbors directed by john avilston and most notably the blues brothers again directed by john landis yeah the film follows the misadventures of brothers jake and elwood blues as they bumble their way through the world of famous blues legends in the scene coming up on clip five, Jake is confronted in a tunnel by his former fiance, a mystery woman who tries to kill him for leaving her at the altar. Now, it may sound like there's cack, uh, cackling in the, in the audio, but it's actually they're caught in a tunnel that has been shot up and it's leaking water. <laughs> and yep. try to figure out who the mystery woman is. Oh, let's see. It's good to see you, sweetheart. 
you contemptible pig. I remained celibate for you. I stood at the back of a cathedral, waiting in celibacy for you, with 300 friends and relatives in attendance. My uncle hired the best Romanian caterers in the state. To obtain the seven limousines for the wedding party, my father used up his last favors with Mad Peak Trullo. So for me, for my mother, my grandmother, my father, my uncle, and for the common good, I must now kill you and your brother. Please don't kill us. You know I love you, baby. I wouldn't leave you. It wasn't my fault. You miserable slug. You think you can talk your way out of this? You betrayed me. No, I didn't. Honest. I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I, I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My tux didn't come back for the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake. A terrible flood. Locust. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God! <laughs> Some pretty good excuses. <laughs> yeah. I'm convinced. <laughs> and then she, 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 she actually gives in uh, and forgives him, and he kisses her and drops her right in the water and runs away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, terrible. Well, also in 1970, excuse me, 1979, uh, Belushi starred in Steven Spielberg's 1941, Miles, You Should Love This, in which he plays an over-the-top World War II fighter pilot, Wild Bill, Kill Bill Kelso. <laughs> in the next clip is the trailer from the film. Uh, but this was great because the trailer was made to look like a recruiting film for young men in the theater. Clip six. The year is 1941, the place a deserted airstrip, where a message is about to be delivered to the people of the United States by the one man capable of igniting fire in the heart of the American bosom. Captain Wild Wayne Kelso. How did you get, Wild Wayne? Five. Confirm? Well, two maybe. Hey, sailor. Wanna help your country? Yeah, you out there. You in the audience. Why don't you enlist? Today. Right now. Forget about the fitting of your new zoot suit with a dance on Friday night. Or that strawberry blonde with a permanent wave. Your country needs you, son. You gonna let her down? You think your best girl look good in a kimono? Eating teriyaki off a straw placemat? Here you go, Alwyn. I'd like to eat sauerkraut for the rest of your life. I'd like to drive to work one morning. Look out. And the street signs will be written in Japanese. Ah! Read that. We need you. New dames out there. There's plenty of stuff for you, broad like you to do, too. Like rigging warheads, broadening bombing patterns, dancing with desperate dogfishes at the UFOs. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. 
saying? We got a great country here. We got to keep it that way. Captain Wild Wayne Kelso, United States Army Air Corps. Say to each and every one of you. So long, Mama. I'm off to Yokohama. Universal Pictures and Columbia Pictures proudly prepares you for next Christmas. <laughs> Steven Spielberg presents 1941, the night the rising sun fell on Hollywood. I always <laughs> forget that's a Spielberg movie, too. Yes, yes. And a good one, by yeah. the way. Yeah, um, and it's kind of cool that they actually uh, they actually depict some of the Zoot Suit riots in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, like many of his fellow Saturday Night Live cast members, Lucci began experimenting, experimenting with heavy drugs, uh, although he did manage a brief period of... Uh, sobriety in 1981 after the production of neighbors um he sort of fell off the wagon and in the early morning hours the day of his death he was visited separately by robin williams robert de niro oh wow who were his friends and one catherine evelyn smith keep her name in mind because on friday march 5th 1982 belushi's fitness trainer and occasional bodyguard bill wallace arrived at his bungalow and found him dead with no one else present the cause of death was combined drug intoxication involving cocaine and heroin sometimes known as a speedball yeah in an interview with the national Enquirer, two months after belushi's death that one Catherine Evelyn Smith, one per other person that was there that night, admitted that she had been with him on the night of his death and had given him the fatal speed shot. Oh. After her appearance on the in the Inquirer article, she was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. And in a plea bargain, she got off with involuntary manslaughter, served 15 months in prison. In 2004, Belushi was posthumously inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame with a, uh, with a motion picture star located at 6355 Hollywood Boulevard. However, I think of all the tributes to John Belushi that I read, I think the most fitting came in Rolling Stone's February 2015 appraisal of the 141 Saturday Night Live cast members to that date. And in it, he received the number one ranking. And they said of Belushi, Belushi was the live in Saturday Night Live. The one who made the show happen on the edge. Nobody embodied the highs and lows of Saturday Night Live. John Belushi. Wow, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah, it's fitting. So that's our... That's our comedian of the week i love to do a comedian of the week and boy what a great one there john belushi and another loss to drugs um uh like many of our our 
comedy friends before. Yeah, yeah. And this Lost is work- him at the age of 33. Yeah, this is working out pretty well. Uh, you've been uh, stumbling a, a lot uh, uh, upon a lot of your favorite comedians, so this is yeah. uh, going well. And it's not like there's not a whole bunch to choose from, too. So No, no. So, um, all right. Well, thank you for that, Joe. And on that note, we do have to get run into the break. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, uh, love this weather. Um, yeah, so Michelle, we have two birthday trailer blocks coming up, and uh, why don't you tell everybody what the first one is? All right, let me get my notes. Sorry, I had a uh, cough. Um, all right, we have the first trailer break is Piper Laurie. She was born on January 22nd, 1932, in Detroit, Michigan. And we have a movie that she's less well known for called Ruby, 1977. Okay. Um, our next lady is uh, Linda Blair. She was born January 22nd, 1959 in St. Louis, Missouri. And I chose yet another uh, fairly uh, obscure movie of hers called Witchery from 1988. You know, it also has David Hasselhoff in it. Oh, nice. Linda Blair, <laughs> and, she's a real head turner. Oh, yeah, she is. In more ways than one. <laughs> Go ahead. And then the last one is another famous uh, 80s, 70s, 80s sci-fi name, Gil Gerard. He was born January 23rd, 1943 in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we have a a fairly unknown movie that he was in that's kind of horror, kind of uh, creepy theme called The Stepdaughter from 2000. Here we go. This woman is having a love affair with the supernatural. I'm here, Nikki. Uh, Baby, how I want you. Something has disturbed him. Something powerful. Very powerful. Ruby! Piper Laurie was frightening in Carrie. She is terrifying as Ruby. Christened in blood, raised in sin, she sweeps 16, let the party begin. It's here. It's very strong. First, there was the exorcist, then the omen and Carrie. But nothing you have ever seen before could prepare you for what you are going to see in Ruby. Starring Piper Laurie. It was never Jake. It was always you. You believe me now, don't you, Nick? You have to believe me now. I did it for you, Nicky. Look what I did. Stuart Whitman. Roger Davis. The presence is real, with motives of his own. Leslie is a natural medium. What I'm afraid of now is that the presence may be powerful enough to act without the benefit of Leslie's mind. And introducing Janet Baldwin as Ruby's daughter. Ruby will take you further into the world of the supernatural than any film has ever dared. 
My dad wants to buy this island right there. You shouldn't go there. That's a bad place. A witch lives there. Are you ready to be scared right through to your mortal soul? By a movie so frightening, you'll plead for mercy, cringe in terror, and beg for more. Witchery. There are three doors to the dark side. Lust, avarice, and ire. Take a haunting journey. Linda for the lust. To the darkest caverns of your mind. And rose for the grief. It is here that she waits. And Aya of the persecuted witch. It is here she watches. It's all part of an ancient ritual. A satanic ritual. To work her terrible magic. We're trapped. We're trapped in this place. With a brutal vengeance. Linda Blair. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Witchery. <laughs> it's no laughing matter. In the middle of the night, Karen Mills came to their door, alone and in trouble. I am so sorry. I've, I've had a car accident. Can I please use your phone? The Connors welcomed her into their lives. So do you have a lot of family up north? No, uh, I lost my family in a car accident. It's terrible. They gave her a job. As you know, we're, we're a little short-handed. Uh... If that's a job offer, the answer is yes. They gave her a home. I think I'm going to go see what the rest of our castle looks like. They treated her like family. I would really like for us to be friends. But they had no idea how much a part of the family she already was. Can you imagine a mother giving up her own flesh and blood? And guess who that girl is, Maggie? Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my God! You let them take me away. Why? World International Network presents a chilling thriller. Karen, no! About a young woman bent on revenge. I was a problem child, and problem children need special attention. Who will stop at nothing to reclaim her place in the family. You see this? The horses, the stable? It's as much mine as it is yours. You're my sister, Linda. Andrea Roth of Dangerous Attraction and Robocop the series. Lisa Dean Ryan of Hostile Intentions and Doogie Howser, M.D. James Wolvet of Unforgiven and Rites of Passage. Cindy Pickett of Ferris Bueller's Day Off and St. Elsewhere, and Gil Gerard of Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, and for love or money. You know, when I first found Connor Ranch, I thought of burning it down. But I've grown since my days at Carson. I've learned things like anger management. The Stepdaughter. Did you ever see such jerky-looking creatures? Nope, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I love trailers like that where they're like, oh, we're going to tell you every last damn little thing this person was in. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, St. Elsewhere, Doogie Howser, MD, uh, Robocop the series. <laughs> I, I forgot there was a Robocop series. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, welcome back to the show. Thank you for that, Michelle. And thank you, Joe, of course, for the... Uh, uh, John Belushi uh, material. Appreciate that very much. Love doing it. Yeah. 
And, uh, no, those are some fun trailers, too, Michelle. I appreciate that. And I can't wait for uh, our second block tonight. Yeah, I, I tried to pick some that weren't that well-known. So, yeah. And, you know, that's the only uh, Gil Gerard horror movie I could find. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And uh, last but certainly not least, our resident history buff uh, is going to... Uh, uh, you've got a you've got a, a a boat of a tale for us tonight, Miles. Sorry, yes, yes, a uh, yes, an exciting commando raid. All right, and that does not mean they raided not wearing underwear. Right, no, not a command, not raiding commando. Yeah, yeah, that's something else. <laughs> not a panty raid either. No. <laughs> so. Anyway, uh, what? Well, yeah, tell us what you got. Commando raid. Oh, uh, so yes, this is in uh, World War II. The Brits uh, did a number of uh, yes, commando raids. If you recall, my first uh, commando story was the one about the heavy water production facility in Norway to slow yes. down the German development of the H bomb. So this one, it happens in France, and the target is a harbor uh, in Bordeaux. And uh, for reasons I'll explain, uh, it was decided that commandos would be best used. And uh, my story is about uh, that raid. Am I, very, am I telling good. it now? Yeah, yeah, this is your goal because we... You, you, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was you, in the second hour. Oh. No, no, because <laughs> your schedule changed, remember? We, we want to make sure that you're uh, able gotcha. to... Duck out okay. if need be uh, as soon as yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my bad. All right. Uh, okay. So the uh, a man named Hasler um, was a, I guess, an outdoors type guy. He was a major. Um, and the, the British, um, this is after the Germans had effectively run over France. Mm -hmm. um, Dunkirk had already happened, and Germany was in control of France. Lock, stock, and barrel. The whole nation was under, you know, there, there were resistance pockets in here and there. So, uh, the bad news for Britain is that with Germany in control of France, that meant they could use the French ports to resupply... Uh, and use uh, shipping uh, to gain raw materials for the war effort. You know, everything from rubber to food or what have you. And the, the, the British, being an island nation, understood the importance of naval supplies and wanted uh, to hamper Germany's ability to function. And mm -hmm. one of the main ports in France that the Germans used was Bordeaux. That's a fairly com. It's a name that might be famous enough for most people to know. And it is in the Southwest of France. And there's a very wide estuary that leads up to it. But Bordeaux is deep inland. Um, you know, wide, wide uh, river leads up to it. It's actually salt water. It's, it's so wide. It, it, there's still tide effects. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so far inland that the Navy cannot reach it um, because of the onshore, uh, you know, attacks from uh, land-based units. 
and uh, you know, obviously, submarines can't get up into a, a tight, tight area like that. That was useless. And the Air Force um, is notably inaccurate, ineffective. You know, with flying around and trying to hit things in the fog and smog and at night and what have you. And it was, and since it's down in the southwest part of France, it was pretty far. You know, mm-hmm. for the airplanes and the bar, the bombers probably could reach it. But I mean, you're you're talking about um, bombing is highly ineffective in in world, during World War II, and uh, very much so when you're trying to do precision bombing and precision work. As I explained in the first commando story about how those commandos were dropped off and bite with gliders and things went horribly wrong. So enter Kassler. Kassler, bit of an outdoorsman, and had experience with. Canoes. Now, canoe is the British word for what this, these uh, the vehicles were, and they are actually what we call kayaks. Okay, but they're that that's what British the British word is canoe, but they're kayaks. Yeah, it's like a bonnet on a car. It, <laughs> yes, it's basically a covered canoe where you know your body, your torso sticking up out of the uh, covering. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, with. British command wanting to attack the shipping potential of Bordeaux, but not having any any effective way to do it, Hasler presented his idea, and it was to have commandos using kayaks. Uh, his 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 plan was to send uh, three two man kayaks up the estuary to Bordeaux. And to place limpet mines on the ships and have them detonate and sink the ships. And initially the uh, idea was shot down, but with persistence and a little, you know, like, hey, this could work. And then finally, or maybe it's desperation, the, the British command ascended to it. Like, all right, let's do this. But not three kayaks, they went with six. So a uh, 13 man team was created, so there was an extra, a reservist, in case something happened to one of the other 12 that were assigned to the mission. Mm -hmm. And they trained in the uh, estuary of the Thames to, you know, for for months to try, you know, build up stamina and practice um, uh, entering and exiting the submarine that would transport them. So, uh, and then they would, you know, paddle and and place limpet mines. So, uh, before I get into the um, description of the mission, I want to uh, go on into about what these 12 men were taking with them up deep into enemy territory. So, the kayaks, as I mentioned, were were two-man vehicles. They had a 15, they had a flat bottom. They're made of canvas and they are 15 feet in length and they could be collapsed in order to be taken aboard a submarine via the uh, torpedo hatch. Torpedoes are loaded through the, a top hatch in, tor- yeah. uh, in the submarines. And so each kayak would be carrying eight limpet mines three sets of paddles, a compass, a depth-sounding reel, uh, a repair bag, a torch, 
and that's British. That's British speak for a flashlight. Yeah, the latest, uh, in, uh, the latest and greatest <laughs> in technology in World War II. A camouflage net, um, a waterproof watch. Uh, time, your timing's important. A fishing line, two hand grenades, Fine. and rations and water for six days. And then a spanner. That's a that's a very fancy word for a pole that would be able to extend down into the water so that the limpet mines, which I will describe in a moment, could be attached to the bottom of a ship um, so that, you know, it, it could explode with enough depth. Yeah. And also a magnet to hold the kayaks against the cargo ships so that the kayak just doesn't float off. While they're preparing the limpet mines, didn't they also call spanners uh, screwdrivers? Aren't, aren't those called spanners as well? Um, don't worry about it. I think the sonic screwdriver is it. No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and they're also were given um, a forty-five ca- uh, uh, Colt semi-automatic pistol and the Fairborn Sykes fighting knife, which is a very famous knife made during. Uh, I digress. I'll describe that later. Limpet mines. So limpet mines are these uh, explosives that hold two kilograms or four and a half pounds of um, explosive material. That doesn't sound like a like a lot. It's honestly, it's not. But there's a very interesting characteristic about water. It doesn't compress. Liquids do not compress, which is why when you see backhoes and bulldozers and using other other big vehicles using hydraulics that's the power of uh, liquids under compression you can do amazing things with it so mm-hmm. with this physics quality limpet mines are with this small amount of explosives are designed to be held and uh, underwater using this ex- the spanner the extender arm and they reach about two meters underneath the ship and then they place the limpet mine which has magnets on it and it just simply attaches to the bottom of the ship and the bottom is where a ship is most unarmored. The sides usually have a little more armoring for uh, you know for torpedo protection or what have you. But the bottom is just a very thin sheet of metal, a uh, quarter inch or, or so. It's it's not it's not designed to uh, to take punishment. And four and a half pounds of explosives is enough to punch a hole through this. So the limpet mine is typically got a timer mechanism on it i don't say timer as in um like a digital clock or even a wind-up clock that's not what it used yeah it used a chemical and so what they would do is they would place this wafer between the mechanism that would start the the explosion or the chemical that would start the explosion and this other chemical that would dissolve the wafer and they knew how long it took for this chemical to dissolve the wafer, and that was the timer mechanism. So these guys are on kayaks at night fiddling with this explosive in their lap. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously a lot of training went, to, went into it. So, so before I get into that, so let's just get back to the mission. So submarine. So this mission is designed to go off in around December 7th of 1942, so a year after uh, Pearl Harbor. Not that there's any relation. That's just the, the timing of it. So they are embarked. The 13 men with six kayaks are embarked on a submarine. 
and they try to get within as, as close as possible to the Garand Estuary. And uh, the mission starts, uh, yeah, December 6th. All right, so they arrive, and they are brought up, and, and the submarine surfaces, and they're like 10 miles from the mouth of the estuary. So they got a kayak 10 miles just to get to the entryway. Now, during the pulling out of the, the, the mission, the, the, the submarine surface, and they're getting the kayaks out, one of the six kayaks is damaged because remember they're just made of canvas so uh, apparently pulling it out of the submarine it was uh, the, the canvas got cut or slid or it was mm -hmm. just non-functional the the, the the kayak would not work so now the spare man and now two of the 12 men stay on the submarine because one kayak is out so that leaves five left and they embark and start paddling in pretty rough seas to try and get to shore. They lose track of one of them. Each each kayak had a code name. The Catchalot was the one that was lost in the submarine. The Coalfish disappeared, and, and now the rest are trying to make it. The Conger capsized, and it had to be scuttled. And so now the two men that were in that kayak are clinging to the rear of two other kayaks, and now they are paddling to try and get to shore. Those crew, um, I believe, successfully make it to shore, but ultimately they die of hypothermia. Ooh. I mean, again, yeah, this happened. This this happens again in, in uh, early December, so the water's pretty cold, and the elements yeah. are not kind. France is a pretty cold place. Yeah. So I mean, it's not not Sweden cold, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, they do reconnect with the coalfish. Um, but now they're an eight-man team, no longer a ten-man team. Uh, and so now they are spending the next few days um, paddling up the river to get to Bordeaux. And they make it about they, they, they got about a hundred mile trek to go and they're making about 15 miles a day. Uh, on night, I should say. They paddle at night, and during the day, they park, put out their camouflage, and hide. <laughs> That's their tactic. Mm -hmm. That's what these commandos do. And during the uh, the travel up, um, two of the kayaks, um, the, the, they get found and uh, captured. And... Um, if you recall, in the first commando story I talked about, there was something called the commando order that was given by Hitler. Mm -hmm. And basically it was that anytime a commando is captured, they are to be executed. And this is irregardless of whether or not they are in enemy, um, whether or not they're in uniform or not. Uh, so yeah. it's pretty much a death sentence to be captured. Uh, yeah, wow. And uh, yeah, those 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 four men uh, definitely died. So now there's only two kayaks left. So and Hitler they... had his own uh, what would Order sixty six? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you know, yeah, that that that's basically what Hitler did. So now there's only two kayaks remaining: the catfish and the crayfish. And uh, Hasler is in the catfish along with a man named Bill Sparks. And the crayfish has a uh, corporal laver. And a marine mills. 
So they're both part of Division A, which was responsible for one half of the uh, port. But because there's two of them and there's more than, you know, they decide to split up and the, uh, the, the crayfish is sent to go deal with the east side and the catfish is sent to go deal with the west side. So they move off to go in the, in, oh, and, oh, here's an exciting part. One of the parts that caused things to go get separated. Uh, it was early in the in the travel. They come across three German frigates. A frigate is a ship that's actually smaller than a destroyer. Uh, it's it's a it's a fighting ship. It is a warship, but it's designed to uh, really not fight against other warships. It's like an anti. It's a patrol boat, a fancy you know, but it's it's big, you know. Uh, so. But again, kayaks are no <laughs> match against the warship. Mm -hmm. So what the men did was they laid back um, and they paddled while basically laying on their backs um, to get past these uh, three frigates. And they succeeded, but in the process, they lost track of one of the, the, the four kayaks, and that's how they lost track, and those, those men got captured. So, anyway, the two kayaks the remaining, they're engaging and they start placing limpet mines on ships across Bordeaux. And uh, they do succeed in placing it on about eight different ships. And then, uh, oh, and there was one exciting moment where a German patrolman on one of the ships thought he heard something and shone his flashlight into the water, but didn't see them, didn't find them, but that that's a nerve wracking thing. I mean, you're 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 relying on stealth, and man, if this guy had spotted you, pfft, yeah, yeah, and he raised the alarm, it it would have been over. But he missed them, so they they managed to place the limpet mines, which are set to go off like nine hours later, and they just paddle quietly paddle off into the night, um, and abandon. They scuttle their canoes, and the plan is for them to hike over land southward and make it into Spain. Spain, which is neutral and thus safe territory. That's the plan. The wow. crew of the crayfish didn't make it. They were also captured. And it turns out that the only uh, uh, Major Hasler and Marine uh, Sparks were the only two individuals of the raid to escape. Um, all the other men were captured and summarily executed, tortured, ex wow. and, 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 uh, and executed. That's horrible. Yeah, well, yeah, wars and wars unkind. Uh, so the the um, mines successfully detonated and uh, sank uh, the ships they were attached to. Now, just like in Pearl Harbor, even though the ships were heavily damaged and sunk, because it's in a harbor. The water shallow. The water depth is shallow, and the ships can be re-raised, and that was the case here. However, where this is, why the, why this is deemed a success is because it showed the Germans that they were vulnerable to this kind of attack. They diverted resources to prevent it from happening again. And these are precious resources that, you know, had they been elsewhere, like, for example, on the beaches of Normandy, would have made things even more of a hell hole than they already were. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, even though these uh, raids did 
ultimately not that much damage. It was still considered a success because of how of the chaos. It was a morale booster, everything. Um, it was this particular raid was made into a movie. Oh yeah, and I yes, I just uh, recently found found that out. It's called the Cockle Shell Heroes. It's made by Warwick Films. Nice. It's about a 55-minute uh, long video. Let me double-check. Here it is on YouTube. Yep, 57-minute long. It's old. It was made in 1955. And now I'm going to... Michelle already knows the answer, so she's not allowed to answer, but there is okay. a famous movie actor, very famous in this movie, and the producer of the movie is also a famous producer of Hollywood movies. So I'll, I'll accept guesses now as to who they are. What, what year did it come out? 1955. 1955. All right, Joe. Let's think about mm. it. 1955 war actor uh, John Wayne? No, think British. Oh, British, British. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. British. Um, David Niven? Good guess. Nice. Good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's not right? No. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, British actor. Uh, uh, not David Niven. Um, That's what I've been active, in, active in the 50s. Uh, I know there's a ton of them, and I'm just drawing a blank. So uh, I was real close when I made my first Michelle guess. Michelle actually so closer. There you go. <laughs> she oh, guessed uh, Vincent Price. Oh, it was not Vincent Price? Vincent but Price was... actually isn't British either. But oh, that's right. Very... That's right. Christopher that's Lee. Right. But, 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 as far as the click, uh, the click of actors that he is famous to be around. Oh, Peter, you named him? Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee? Christopher Lee. Okay, very good. Ah. And the producer, I'll just go ahead and name him, is uh, Broccoli. Oh, Albert Broccoli. Okay. Yes, of mm. uh, James Bond film fame. Nice. So yeah, so this is his his starting out of it, and uh, so that that caught my eye, and that's that's that that was interesting. So uh, yeah, there you go, Co commando raid into uh, the south uh, west of France, and uh, though it didn't do much damage, it did have an impact. And uh, mm -hmm. oh, the movie is very fictionalized, so it's not gonna eh, yeah just uh, you know, as, as you know to make things exciting. I'm just I'll just throw that caveat out there. So. All right, all right. Well, is, very good. Is what it is. So there you go. The 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 uh, it was co it's called Operation Frankton. Okay. And, uh, there you go. That's the commando right Well, I'll office. watch anything with Christopher Lee in it. I'll watch a you know breakfast sausage commercial with him in it. You know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's only an hour. That's all it is. Nice. Very cool. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, thank you uh, very much for that, uh, Miles. And uh, we're going to run yep. to the break. And when we come back, we've got an hour-long special talking about one Joe Bob Briggs from Michelle. Uh, I'm very Good excited clip. about this. We've got a very special intro for next hour, too. I didn't even tell you what I did for the short clip. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we'll be right back with lots more. It came from Cleveland, episode 35, right after this. <laughs> Going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Kept the power. Now at last, 
The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish ordeal. Something evil. Ten dead bodies, knife to the stomach, throat slitting, cleaver through the back, axe to the face, arrow through the forehead. Not recommended for impressionable children. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. We are drive-in mutants. We are not like other people. We are sick. We are disgusting. If life had a vomit meter, we'd be off the scale. We believe in blood, in breasts, and in beasts. We believe in Kung Fu City. As long as one drive-in remains on the planet Earth, we will party like jungle animals. We will boogie till we puke. Heads will roll. The drive-in will never die. Amen. Wow. That's very special. Of course, welcome back to Miles and Joe. Thank you for that stellar first hour, fellas. Hey. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, one thing I'd like to add quickly. Um, there was a documentary where it was pointed out that there was a screw up by the British military branches because there was a simultaneous mission by another group of commandos that were trying to deliver bombs on foot into onto those ships and they heard the limpet mines going off and had to abandon the mission and so uh it, it, the point being that they better coordination was after that was found out better coordination was done to uh inflict more damage on the enemy okay well michelle uh thank you uh for that uh, stellar uh addition to the intro there tonight and uh yeah so uh, uh as long as there's one drive through drive-in movie theater standing yeah, and they're actually kind of trying, you know, they're, they've become like a, a pop culture thing. You know, people have been trying to save drive-in movies all across the, the country. And yeah. it's kind of fun because, you know, I remember going to a drive-in when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, it, is, it is a form of uh, Americana that I would hate to lose. Yeah, Susan and, and I had one of our first dates at a drive-in movie. Oh, that is most cool. I remember you had tried to fit as many people as you could in the car unless you were on a date and it was just yeah. you and her yeah. <laughs> unless then, you put people in the trunk and then they ran around and yeah, yeah, then, yeah. then you're okay spending 20 bucks <laughs> right but uh yeah so that gentleman you heard speaking is mr joe bob briggs otherwise known as john bloom um he is one of the last remaining uh amazing movie hosts uh he's right up there with elvira he's actually had elvira on his show before and um he is uh he was actually an investigative reporter, an essayist, and an actor. He was born in Dallas on January twenty seventh in nineteen fifty-three. And then he was raised in Little Rock, Arkansas. He went to school at Vanderbilt University on a sports writing scholarship. Wow. Um yeah, so he's he's really a, you know, he has really an interesting background in, in his is his journalistic background. Um 
then he went to work for um, in, in Texas. Um, he earned two National Magazine Award nominations for his work on the tech in, with the Texas Monthly. Unfortunately, he was never one to be shy about stuff he wrote. And he was later fired from the Dallas Times Herald for writing as Joe Bob Briggs, a parody of the then popular song, We Are the World. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So he, he got in a little bit of trouble there with that. Um, and so, you know, that led him on to um, a little bit of an acting career, but he also began his television career as a movie commentator on the movie channel, hosting Joe Bob's drive-in theater. And this was in 1987 and it ran for nine years. During this time, it became TMC's highest rated show, earning it two ACE award nominations. Wow. Yeah. I remember watching this uh, back in the early nineties. Uh, and I just, I, I just fell in love with it. And that will lead us uh, to one of the, I'll give you an intro to the show. It's one of the intros into a movie that he had where he was also interviewing Brink Stevens. And this is from 1987. The snack bar is open. All right, it's the second big week of Scream Queens Month on Drive-In Theater, and you know the crew still hadn't recovered from Linnea Quigley being here last week. When she left that <laughs> night, they were saying these incredibly witty things to her, like, do you have a car? And uh, I loved you in Vice Academy, too. You know, you know, you guys are pitiful with this stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, my guest tonight, and I have to admit, I have a weakness myself for this woman. She has the most evil, dark eyes. You look at those eyes, and you just want to say, okay, kill me, go ahead, I'll enjoy it. <laughs> I first saw her in a movie called Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, and she was the best thing about that movie. And I recently saw that Jesse Helms considers that movie one of the best arguments for censorship in America. He hates that movie. Makes me love it even more. We'll ask her about <laughs> it. Come on out here, Brink. Brink Stevens, our scream queen for the evening. You didn't Welcome, tell me Brink. The place was so hard to find. <laughs> well, Hi. we expected you to be wearing clothing. So have a seat. <laughs> no, really, good to see you. That concludes the community theater part of our program. All right, Brink, you look stunning. As usual. Well, thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I've watched your show and I just can't believe I'm actually here. This is it. This is all that happens here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I can go home now. Yeah. Got to the axe again. <laughs> I love the self-deprecation too. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, a lot of his movies were, you know, were more of the sleazy exploitation type movies, but they enjoyed them and they were great for the time slot he was on. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I actually enjoy some a lot of the older explo exploitation movies because they're they're classic, you know. Yes, they're you know some of the subject matter, yeah, very cringeworthy. But yeah. you know, if if I can survive cannibal holocaust, I can survive a cheesy <laughs> exploitation movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess yeah. Yeah, cannibal holocaust was horrible. Oh but, god. Yeah. Yeah, so he had this, and it was a great set, you know, basically, it was very, he played up the, 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 the southern redneck beautifully. 
trailer, you know, uh, junk ridden yard, you know, lawn chairs, can of beer in his hands. Yep, the Lone Star beer or whatever beer he had at the time. Yeah, so he had that look, you know, the bolo tie is his classic signature. Oh, yeah. And so he he had a lot a lot of fun, and he had the chops to back it up. He had the research here. He had the degree in journalism, and he does a lot of research. And so you know that that show ran for a while, you know, for nine years, and then in 1991, um, they he had a new show on TNT called Monster Vision. All right, so here's clip two. You know, a lot of people write me and say, Hey, Joe Bob Briggs, just what is Monster Vision? You don't need no special glasses or an insect's head. Just a healthy love for slime and disrespect for the dead. We'll talk about some movies by the old double wide. And when you get that creepy feeling creeping up inside, well, then you got Monster Vision. It's a heck of a fright. We're tearing the heart out of Saturday night. <laughs> These Monster Vision movies serve a primitive drive. Cause watching people die can make you feel so alive. So throw away your clicker now, the flicks have begun. Cause there's nothing you can do while fully dressed. It's as fun as watching ENT beneath the bugs after light. We're tearing the heart out of Saturday night. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> and that's another that's another fun thing about his shows is he has these these goofy theme songs, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and he can but, carry a tune. He can carry a tune. Yes, he can. Um, and and he, he's fun. I he's had some controversy over the years. You know, he has said a few things that have hit people the wrong way, but I don't think they're in a harmful fashion. But he just you know every now and then he gets on these rants and he has you know and. And he had one little controversy about the the LGBTQ um, moniker, and uh, his only problem with it it was too long. And he did get some people upset with that, and I understand where they're coming from. Sure, but um, it's not big like he says that they don't have a right to exist. He just thought that the the the, the, anac- the was it acronym is that what it's called. Acronym? Um, so I I think some something whatever like it is was just way too long, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, yeah, it was so he got in a little bit of heat for that. Um, you know, everybody who has an opinion is going to get yelled at by somebody, and I understand why he would have gotten, you know, people. Oh, upset absolutely. About that. You know, because it's like you know, you know there's, there's a lot bigger fish to fry than worrying about the name of something. You know. Right, right. But it was just something he because he, he was I, I don't know if it was because he, he was doing sleepaway camp one time or something like that. I don't remember what show it came up about. Mm-hmm. But um, he uh, has regulars that come on his show. Um, and one of them is the star of sleepaway camp. And have you seen that movie? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> and and she she is she is Joe Bob Briggs, uh, I think uh, her name is Felicity something. I can't remember her last name, but she is Joe Bob Briggs' mangled dick expert. Okay. <laughs> if there's a mangled, monstrous, creepy dick in a movie, 
he calls upon her to describe it or say, you know, what's, you know, what, what is good about this or what's wrong about this. And uh, yeah, because, you know, her part in the movie of Sleepaway Camp, she would be the expert on mangled dicks. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> she, she's an amazing, she's amazing. She's got a good sense of humor. She's on the horror circuit with him all the time. I mean, they're, they're crossing paths on, at horror, sh- horror conventions everywhere. And he has another person on his show, uh, Darcy and the Mail Girl. Her name, um, her, her name on her bio is Diana Prince. And I love that choice of a name. I think right. it's great. <laughs> and uh, she's an absolutely lovely brunette. And uh, she's his main um, media person. So she handles all the social media. And mm-hmm. she's shown up a lot on his current show now that he has a show on Shudder. And, but, um, Joe Bob has won, he's been in a lot of movies. Um, he has been in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Unfortunately, his scenes were deleted in that. Uh, Um, he was in Great Balls of Fire. Jerry Lee Lewis story. Yeah, he was in The Stand. Um, I think it was the first, uh, part of the miniseries. He played Deputy Joe Bob Brentwood. (laughs) Yes. Um, he's been in Married with Children. He was in Casino. Oh. He played a character called Don Ward in that. Um, he was in Face Off. Oh, he yeah. Nicholas Cage yep. and uh, um, John Travolta. Uh, John Travolta, yep. He played a prison medical technician in that. He was in a movie called Storytellers, a movie called Evil Ever After, uh, Ghosts of Goldfield. Uh, Raptorous, which was kind of like a, a it was a rap based possession drug movie. Um, he was in a movie called The Sleepers. But one of his movies <laughs> that he absolutely has just basically hit himself over the head with about being in it and his crew <laughs> on the, the shutter uh, last drive in will not let him down is a movie and I will just say the movie's name is in this cheer Hogzilla 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 <laughs> Deep in the swampy backwoods of Florida Who's there? <laughs> a tabloid news crew goes in search of a terrifying beast the locals call Hogzilla their quest for a sensational story. Hey, you guys. We got a visitor. Quickly turns into a deadly struggle for survival. Hi, I'm Dr. Lori Evans. We're following up on a report that a giant feral hog was shot here in these woods. Well, there ain't no hogs here. There's demons and devils and creeping things, but there ain't no hogs. Damn it, no signal. There's a storm coming. Looks like we're not going anywhere right now.
gonna get nasty. There's demons and devils and creepy things. There ain't no hogs. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's him. That's him doing that speech there. <laughs> oh, I know that voice. Yeah, I wouldn't mistake that voice in a second. Don't you love the theme song though, the old McDonald's? Oh wow, <laughs> that's, that's kind of so punk version corny. of something. It's great. Yeah, it's corny, but I love it. So, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. And they won't let him live this movie down either. I would Every time he mentions it or mentions a pig, he got these two guys. <laughs> and yeah, Francie put the, the screenshot up there. The, 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 those are the, that the the guy. The big guy is his um, music expert. He's the one that did his new theme song, which we'll play a little bit. And a little bit later and the, the other guy is his set designer and prop manager and they just they won't let him live it down <laughs> wow that's hysterical and uh. i've actually watched the movie and i watched a movie before it actually was released on um the last drive-in where he actually had to you know talk about the movie so it was <laughs> so hilarious he probably loves it. He, it's it's got to be shtick, but it's great shtick though. Yeah, it is because it's a movie that you would really probably not want to be proud of. Yeah. So what? what? <laughs> so my cell but, phone's going nuts. No, that's um, okay. Yeah. That's all right. But no, that's uh, uh yeah. The, oh gosh, I, I absolutely. Uh, and you want to know what the tagline is for the movie? Oh, please. That one please. little line that usually they would put on the posters or the video cover, although this, I think, was a straight to video. I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tagline is the other white meat bites back. Oh, <laughs> that's hysterical. Isn't that nice and cheesy? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, Joe, I know you're putting Hogzilla on your watch list right now, right? It's there. Yeah. I went right to the top. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, uh, it is a cinematic, uh, not so masterpiece. <laughs> I want to see a sequel: Sharky versus Hogzilla. Oh, that'd be cool. So, oh, that would not work. The armed collie. <laughs> the armed collie? No, <laughs> the hog doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> Well, you yeah, know. especially if we teach them how to use an AK forty-seven. <laughs> sure, or don't just, have to teach them. <laughs> just use the butcher knives too, you know, and uh, That's all. cook us up some chops. That's it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you want me to save the, the the rest of it for the next segment? Uh, I think we could probably you you have uh, five clips left, so we could do uh, one more now and then do the the other four. Uh, for the next segment, unless okay, you think it's I will best. do the intro to the next clip. Um, on July 13th of 2018, Shudder aired The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, a 26-and-a-half-hour block featuring 13 horror movies, horror movies chosen as the greatest of all time by Briggs. The films were Tourist Trap, Sleepaway Camp, Rabid, The Prowler, Sorority Babes, In the Slime Ball, uh, uh, the slime ball or bowlerama, <laughs> daughters of darkness, sorry, blood feast, basket case, reanimator, demons, the legend of Boggy Creek, Hellraiser, and pieces. Wow, that's a great line. That's a great lineup. 
I know most it of It is pretty cool. It covers all the spectrum there. And mm-hmm. so this is the intro to his, the opening theme for The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Hey, everybody, have you heard the news? Joe Bob is back in town. He's over at the drive-in, hanging around. Watch your crazy movie, so come on down to Joe Bob's last drive-in show. Blood Beast is movies and more. Joe Bob's last drive-in show. cool yeah and, and he has his categories he always does an intro and he covers the you know he covers how many breasts are shown in the movie yeah um <laughs> uh and if somebody's killed with something it's called foo so it's kind of like uh you know you got knife foo and you've got you know regular kung fu you've toaster got foo. toaster foo yes <laughs> <laughs> uh chair to the head foo you know and and um so it's it is a a lot a lot of fun and he always has amazing um uh facts about the movie about who's starring it who the makeup Mm -hmm. artist might be or who you know the director is or the director's cousin you know he comes up with some really obscure stuff gratuitous name Yes, yeah, gratuitous is one of his terms too. So if there's something that happens like more than three or four times, you know, he will call it gratuitous. So yeah. gratuitous uh, uh, ear punch, you know, ear puncturing or <laughs> gratuitous eyeball splattering, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Or gratuitous wor- use of the word "hey, dude," you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, and that's uh, I, I I picked uh, for for the short uh, intro clip for your segment. I, I I grabbed some of his drive-in totals from the Friday the Thirteenth marathon he did. Ten dead bodies, knife to the stomach, throat slitting, cleaver through the back, axe to the face, arrow through the forehead. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep, he's great. But uh, and yeah, he goes uh, in depth sometimes and um in the next segment you will hear one of his um his his in-depth segments and oh my god does he go down a rabbit hole (laughs) oh you gotta love that you gotta love that so um well i'll tell you what let's uh since this will be more in the uh the spirit of uh your segment let's go ahead and uh, we'll save adam's mythical moment 28 for hour three and uh, just go ahead and run your second birthday trailer block since you're you're doing a little uh, fact finding mission for us here, just like Joe Bob does on his shows. Oh, very cool! Well, I I, I, I pale in comparison to the great Joe Bob Briggs, well, but I try my you know, best. You're, you, <laughs> and you, usually, you, you know, he, he he has he has weeks to, to prepare his material. I usually just prepare it the day before <laughs> well you know but the thing is you have good inspiration to to you know find interesting stuff 
Yeah, I am a horror movie mutant weirdo, and I am part of the mutant uh, mutant Joe Bob Biggs, Briggs community. So, you know, I, I, I will be there and do my part whenever possible. There you go. <laughs> All right. So All right. What, what do we got? So this second break, we have some other very interesting names. We have Natasha Kinski. Um, oh. Her last name may be familiar to some of you. Uh, she was born January 24th, 1961 in Berlin, Germany. And her, the movie I have for her also has Christopher Lee in it. And it is called To the Devil a Daughter from 1976. Nice. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, it is fun. Um, the next person is Matthew Lillard, uh, born January 24th, 1970 in Lansing, Michigan. He's been in a lot of things, uh, but I chose Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo. He voices Shaggy, and it also has Elvira in it. And the, the, the villain is not a spoiler. It is the Scarecrow, DC's Scarecrow. Oh. So, yes. Fun. And... Uh, and the last one is Mimi Rogers. She was born uh, January 27th, 1955 in Coral Gables, Florida. She is in a movie called Penny Dreadful. Not to be confused with the TV series. Completely different plot. Right. Yes, yeah, so the, the lead character's name is Penny in this movie. Alright, we'll be right back right after this. The evil power of black magic has fascinated millions of moviegoers. In 1967, Rosemary's Baby. In 1974, The Exorcist. And now, a motion picture that probes further into the mysteries of the occult that any has dared before. 98% of so-called Satanists are nothing but pathetic freaks who get their kicks out of dancing naked in freezing churchyards. I have a feeling I'm dealing with that other 2%. Richard Widmark challenges Christopher Lee for the soul of a girl named Catherine in the terrifying film of Dennis Wheatley's sensational bestseller, To the Devil, a Daughter. Te adoro et te invoco. They've got Catherine. And we've got to get her back before it's too late. When this ceremony has been performed, I shall destroy you, John Burney. The demons hate you, Rainer. They're waiting for you. Catherine. Catherine. You are warned. The full shock, the full satanic horror, is yet to be revealed. It's a me! Don't! Mistress of the Dark. Join Scooby-Doo and the gang in their first Halloween movie mystery. Let's go, guys. Places ASAP. And they aren't just looking for treats. We got him! Ah! 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 
was me! We don't know these guys! <laughs> a familiar villain. Dr. Jonathan Crane is escaping from Arkham Asylum. With a few tricks up his sleeve. I am plunging this entire town into unmitigated terror. You giddy up! No, you giddy up! A fearsome new monster. <laughs> double giddy up on the double. Now it's up to brain power. Bill Nye. Velma, Fred, I got you something. To put this mystery to the test. Welcome to the future of mystery solving. Keepers, it's the creepers. Hang on, Nye Riders. They're getting geared up. What do we know about these jackal lanterns? To unmask the truth. Stealing your pants right off your butt? Zoinks! Orange! Freaky! Aggressive drivers! Light them up, Mr. Nye! <laughs> They're not going down without a fright. We need to, like, squash every squash that we see! <laughs> Are you frightened yet? Run! <laughs> Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo. Whoa, why that escalated fast? There are 40,000 fatal car crashes every year. Penny, please, wake up. Daddy. Jesus, Penny, get a grip. Something about needing a lift to a camp. Are you gonna give him a ride? I just hit him. No, thank you. I'm not very hungry right now. You want us to drop you here? Jesus, what a creep. No, mommy. Get back in the car. Tire's completely destroyed. Lock the door. You'll be warm and safe inside. safe place. Thought I heard something. Somebody help me! To hide. Oh my god. I won't die like this! Penny Dreadful. Don't forget to breathe. pretty creepy it is <laughs> yeah. all right and uh welcome back uh miles you still there with us yeah yeah all right very good so and uh thank you again for the canoe facts uh so <laughs> um and uh and of course welcome back joe thank you again for the uh john belushi stuff at the beginning very cool no problem 
And uh, but no, but no. <laughs> I could have had an hour to do him, yeah. but no. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and of course, welcome back, Michelle. Uh, so, all right, Bill, why don't you pick up where you left off there? All right. Um. So yeah. So um, Joe Bob Briggs is is is. You know, he, he, he's, he's got a real dry, you know, kind of a dry sense. He tells some really bad jokes, too, sometimes. And they're not the most politically correct jokes, I understand. But they're jokes. Sure. They're jokes we've all heard before. And um, um, he uh, is known for giving an expert commentary for the DVD release of I Spit on Your Grave. Okay. <laughs> um, he was inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame in 2012 as his character, Joe Bob Briggs. He currently lives in Hoboken, New Jersey, and New York City. Oh, so this this cool. Texas Arkansas boy is living in the big city now. Nice, nice. Um, uh, his uh, Darcy the male girl. Um, she was also an adult film star named Diana Prince, as I said. Yep. She was an avid she was an avid fan of Monster Vision, and was outspoken in the campaign to get Joe Bob Briggs another movie hosting gig. He was so flattered by her support that he gave her the role of the male girl when Shudder picked up the show. Very cool. Um, so Diana Prince, Darcy the male girl, came down with a severe case of stage fright when it came to shoot the first marathon. She flew to Texas and then immediately hopped a plane back to California. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> the crew coaxed her into returning, but once on set, she tried to persuade, persuade guest Felicia Rose, Felicia Rose from Sleepaway Camp, mm -hmm. um, to uh, take her place. Rose pushed her in the front of the camera, and she became a mainstay of the show. All right. The premiere marathon of Joe Bob's Briggs' last drive-in on Shutter was such a big success that the AMC servers for Shudder and Sundance Now crashed 15 minutes before the launch time. Wow. The servers remained down for an entire weekend. Most fans wanting to see the return of Joe Bob Briggs had to wait until the marathon was loaded into the Shudder website as individual episodes. Okay. So that was a big fail there. They did not expect it to be that popular. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, and in the first thirteen, um, the, the first thirteen movie marathon, um, Darcy was a, uh, a scripted role. Diana Prince had been integral in getting the show on the air and was unhappy with her character, so they stopped writing dialogue for her and let her appear as herself. It is implied that the show is being transmitted through a live feed, but it's actually pre-recorded. All right. And what's, what's funny is um, on his set, he has a lizard. He has a, a bearded lizard named Ernie. And Ernie's tank with the sun lamp and everything is a miniature of the set. has a little miniature mobile home in it oh, and yeah, everything. Yeah. I've and seen he sometimes, that. It's amazing. Yeah, and they sometimes put little little cowboy hats or sombreros on them, depending on <laughs> um, what, they're, yeah, what, what they are uh, celebrating at the time. Dress up your lizard day. Yeah, he's he's a pretty he's a pretty chill lizard, and they've actually had him out before. And a couple of their guests have actually really wanted to hold the lizard and have him on their knee while they've been talking to Joe Bob Briggs, and mm -hmm. and it, it, it's pretty cool. So um, yeah, and they do a lot of cherry events. They do a lot of live events, a lot of horror shoot, uh, horror movie stuff. He's a big hit at the Alamo Draft House and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, in 2020, they had a a a a 
a promoted event called Joe Bob's Haunted Drive-In. Both him, uh, Darcy, uh, and um, Felicia were there. Oh, so that's uh, clip five? Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's the one. This is Joe Bob Briggs, and tickets to my L.A. Halloween attraction, Joe Bob's Haunted Drive-In, are now on sale. So grab them before they're gone at JoeBob'sHauntedDriveIn.com and come on down to say hello to me, Darcy the Mail Girl, Felissa Rose, as we present a slew of fun fright flicks to you in the safety of your own car. Just watch out for the monsters that'll be lurking in the drive-in around you. Very cool. And one thing about Darcy is she's really good at cosplay. She will do cosplay and she goes to horror events and she'll do the cosplay for the horror event. And then, you know, she'll be on the panel with Joe Bob and stuff like that. And some of her outfits are absolutely spectacular. And one of her favorite movies, you will like this, Kenny, is Halloween 3. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That's always good to hear. Yeah, she has a big crush on the actor that's in that. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. White hair, white mustache. Yeah, I don't remember his name uh, right off yeah, either. But, he's but she in. has a big crush on him, and she's actually had him call in the show before and berate Joe Bob for not showing Halloween 3. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely. That, that is her favorite Halloween movie. But, you know, she she loves she loves just about everything. And she, she, you know, some of the real bizarre stuff she's a really, really big fan of. And um, so, yeah, she comes up with some really, really cool outfits for the show. As you can see in that haunted drive in trailer uh, picture I put up for the for the trailer on YouTube. She had a really, really sexy dark nurse outfit, which was cool. So I approve. Yeah. So um, yeah, she's she's really she's really blossomed, and I can't imagine her having so much stage fright. But she has had a really really rough rough life. Um, yeah. She lived for a couple years out of a motel room with her son because she was I think she was trying to get away from an abusive ex. So um, so she's she's got a really really cool backstory and more power to her. I mean, she just she's come out of this shining and such a beautiful person. So. Um, and, uh, next we have an interview, um, showing what happened the first time Joe Bob actually put her on a stage, not on the movie, uh, not on the set of the, the show, but on a stage. Okay. Welcome back to Who Needs Sleep. Once again, 36 hours to fight cancer. This year, our recipient is the Cook Children's, uh, Rheumatology and Oncology Awards in Fort Worth. And we try to keep the money local, at least through, um, whether it's outreach or whether it's somebody who's fighting cancer on their own. So please, if you're not already doing so, you're already on the website unless you're hitting something else. And we don't know why Russians would pirate this show. So go to whoneedsleep.org slash donate and make those dollars count. Now, back in 1985, it was my second week at the Dallas Times Herald as a young intern. And I was asked to come down to the front desk because there were people flooding our telephones for a article that our next guest, one of our next guests, wrote as part of his drive-in movie column. Joe Bob Briggs' We Are the Weird broke the internet before the internet existed. And after that, the man said, you know, you can intern for me. And you have no memory of this whatsoever, do you? (laughs) About you interning for me? Yes. Um, 
that was a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of things going on, and so uh, I don't I don't specifically have that memory. But he said whatever his lawyers told him to say. Kids, it is Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl, folks. <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of Who Needs Sleep this year. We're very happy to help, and uh, uh, it's such a great cause, and and. Um, you know, happy to be here. The first time I actually saw you was the, I want to say it was the night before um, the last drive-in had its uh, thir had its 24-hour marathon. You were at the oh, yeah. Alamo Draft House, <laughs> and I don't right. think I don't think Joe Bob expect I don't think you expected Joe Bob to drag you on stage. No, that was quite embarrassing. <laughs> he called me from the audience in the dark to walk down to the front and say. Hey, here's the mail girl, and people are like, huh? <laughs> well, like, yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wasn't thinking very clearly, but that, yeah, that was um, that would have been uh, July twelfth because mm -hmm. it was the show debuted on uh, July on Friday the thirteenth, so it was July twelfth, twenty eighteen, and we were um, we were doing a presentation of Sleepaway Camp mm -hmm. at the uh, Alamo Draft House in Richardson as a promotion for the night before the 24-hour uh, last drive-in marathon, which we thought was the only show we were going to do. <laughs> you know, we, we thought that was, it was going to be my farewell to horror hosting. And I thought that, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but, <laughs> but Darcy was there, and so I said, and also welcome, you know, the male girl on the show. Of course, no one had seen the show because it hadn't premiered yet, and so, <laughs> You know, so and yeah, I tried I guess. to just be like, okay, cool, cool, and he was like, no, come on out, come on out, <laughs> oh and so everyone, it was like that. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so she was feeling really self-conscious, you know. So it's it, it is kind of fun though. Now her character is just she she will come right back at him, and she will just she'll she'll cut him down if he mm -hmm. if she has to. Oh and yeah, I I I love that. I mean, I've watched this uh, a few times, and I, I love the format. I love the set. Uh, you know, I love the interaction. It's just a, it's just a terrific show. And they get a lot of the cool people. I mean, they get Tom. They have had Tom Savini. They've had Chris Jericho. They've had you know all of the, the you know a lot of the current masters and the past masters of horror that are still alive come on their show when they show their movies. Yeah, and it's really really cool when you can get that sort of a draw. Absolutely. So um, yeah, so I was saying he was in a movie called Scare Package. Now Scare Package is an anthology movie. Okay. But what's What's funny about this movie is they make fun of the horror genre. So they have a bunch of little small little vignettes inside it that make fun of different horror genres. And at the end, Joe Bob shows up in the most unusual place as himself. And the <laughs> owner of the horror at video store who's been telling these stories and talking to his video clerk, training a new video clerk and all who's trapped in this situation, realizes it's Joe Bob Briggs, is so absolutely excited that Joe Bob Briggs is there because Joe Bob there, we're, they're going to survive the horror movie. And it's just a really, really fun horror movie called Scare Package 2019. Here we go. Oops. <laughs> Cold opener. You only have a few minutes to put all the pieces in place. This is the best house on the market. It just seems too good to be true. What would happen in a horror movie now? <laughs> Everyone I care about.
care about ends up dead. As if it wasn't bad enough that we're babysitting on Halloween. That's what they were doing back there, tests and shit. The engine will not start in 17 out of 18 cases. It's the devil's lake impaler. It's not over, he can still come back. I'm pretty sure something bad happened here. You don't understand! You have to kill me! You okay? Pick up Hitchhiker's is dangerous business. That's how horror movies start. It's like you're having a rough night. It's 11 a.m. Hi, I'm hunting a creature. Well, a man. Maybe you've seen him? How are we gonna fix this? I'd like to rent a wood chipper. We are in a horror movie! Nobody? Horror. Horror movie. That sounds really fun. It is. It's got a little bit of a cabin in the woods vibe to it. Okay. But it it takes it in 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 a, a very cool uh, 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 forward pa- uh, path. It, it it is a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. You know, at, at, at first I thought it was a little. I think I'm not sure, but I'm I, I'm almost wondering if the kid that is. Uh, hired at the video store is Kevin, the, the kid that played Kevin Tran in Supernatural. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd have to uh, look that up. I, I didn't, I didn't look up the names, but he looks very similar, and he sounds similar. His voice has mm-hmm. a similar, you know, cadence to it. So sure, sure. Because I'm better with voices than I am with faces. So gotcha. But yeah, yeah it, it it might be him. So it's a it's a fun movie, and Joe Bob Briggs' part in it is absolutely spectacular. But you have to wait towards the end of the movie to see him. So don't expect to see him right away. And you know it's got all the tropes in it. It's got babysitter tropes in it. It's got girls on a night out party tropes <laughs> in it. You know it is it is you know you know what happens to people when they steal stuff. Uh, yeah, and uh, the wood chipper comment is my favorite. I'd like to rent a, rent a wood chipper, and when you see why, <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> well, that's that's and you know that's the great thing about horror is horror is the one genre where you know the there you know you know horror they can make filmmakers fun of themselves. Yeah, they yeah. they're they're all they're all about making fun of themselves. And Scream really opened that up to everybody. Because yeah. Scream actually became so popular, you know, and there you go. And then the scary movies came out of that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and even before that, too, you know, the some of the Leslie Nielsen stuff and everything. Uh, there was, um, oh, gosh, um, Dracula Dead and Loving It. That was uh, the Mel Brooks one. Yep. Uh, and then there was Repossessed with Leslie Nielsen. Um both of those even a vampire in Brooklyn is kind of comedic. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And but no, that's uh, you know that's that's or, been you know a love at first thing. bite. George Hamilton. Yeah. Classic. So. But um, yeah, as I as I yeah. 
Um, just uh, as, as I have said, Joe Bob is in depth in his research when he does these sort of shows and it shows on every single shutter episode of the last drive-in um he has rants and you know and one of his things is he'll 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 do his rant and then he'll say now back to the movie and just before you go back to the movie he has another one or two minutes worth of a rant (laughs) (laughs) and it's hilarious and that that that's his style and here's one i picked because i know you are. Uh, you have talked about these movies before, and I know you are an Italian movie director uh, aficionado. You love some of the Italian mo- horror movies oh, yeah. and the Gigalio and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. here is a convoluted history of the Demon series. Oh, this will be great! Drive-in. Oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> We're going to go over this one time and one time only. All right. Demons was originally supposed to be part of a trilogy. Demons, Demons 2, and Demons 3. Okay, Demons 2 was basically the same as Demons 1 with some grosser zombie effects, and those were both (laughs) directed by Lamberto Bava. But Demons 3 was supposed to be based on a story by M.R. James called The Church. So by the time Mahele Soavi directed Demons 3, he decided he didn't want to be associated with Demons 1 or Demons 2, even though, as I pointed out earlier, he's the actor who plays the man with the silver face mask, Actually, he has two roles in Demons 1. He's also Jerry in the film within the film. So, <laughs> Suave decides his movie is better than Demons Uno and Tuo. So, he changes his title back to The Church and releases it that, that way. So, now, they don't have a Demons 3. So, Lamberto Bava is making another movie. We're up to 1988 now. It's called The Ogre. It was made for a TV series in Italy, and, they, and then they recut it to play as a feature film outside of Italy, and it had nothing to do with demons, but they released it as Demons 3, The <laughs> Ogre, except in the countries where nobody wanted The Ogre, and so in those countries there was a movie by Umberto Lindsay called Black Demons that was also released as Demons 3. So let me <laughs> review here. We're now up to Demons 3 in the series, and we have five movies only two of which have anything to do with demons. Next, <laughs> for no reason anyone can figure out, a Mahele Sawavi movie called The Sect, S-E-C-T, is released as Demons 4. Now, apparently Mahele, who didn't want to be Demons 3, now wants to be Demons 4. He changed his views after he saw the box office returns oh, when you dear. name a horror movie The Church. Now, I'm not finished. Lamberto Bava now remakes the most famous movie of his father, Mario Bava, Black Sunday, and it's called The Devil's Veil, only at the last minute he goes, screw that, and releases it as Demons 5, which brings us to 1989, when Luigi Cosi made The Black Cat with Urbano Barberini, and he decided, hey, everybody else is doing it, I've got Urbano Barberini, they don't, so (laughs) Demons fucking 6, then Cosi... (laughs) goes out and he does interviews and he says, well, Demon Six De Profundis is actually the third film in Dario Argento's trilogy that started with Suspiria and Inferno, which made even less sense because that trilogy called the Three Mothers Trilogy existed only in Dario's head. I don't think he even planned it. So, by (laughs) the way, Demons was made for $1.8 million, but it made such a huge pile of money that Bava and Argento immediately filmed the sequel using many of the actors who were killed in the first movie. Oh, my God. And that film came out so fast that it played in Germany 
before the first demons had been approved to play there. Oh so in Germany, in Germany alone, which is where the story supposedly takes place, the demons that we're watching is Demons 2. And the movie we think of as Demons 2 is Demons. You probably think I'm finished now. That would be a mistake on your part. In 1994, Mihaly Sawavi makes probably his best film, Cemetery Man. Now, why are we talking about Cemetery Man? Because it appeared on DVD as Demons 95. Now, oh, why, wow. you ask? Why all these fake demoni? Because they're Italian. Everyone involved is Italian. So, back to the movie. And don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't, I, it's not an ethnic slur. Some of the greatest storytellers in the world are Italian. Like Martin Scorsese is Italian, you know. Sergio Leone is Italian. Silvio Berlusconi, you know. Silvio, oh boy. <laughs> Silvio's basic position is, yes, I have been involved with bribes and hookers in the past, but not this time. So great storyteller running Italy. Wow. You know, that's so hysterical because I feel his pain there because I was listing an item in our eBay store that was Demons 1 and 2. The first movie was Demoni from 1973, which was a Jess Franco movie and another Italian movie. <laughs> and it was paired up with Lombardo Bava's Demons 2 from 1986. And I, I and when I was doing the research for it, I was like, uh, you know, I, I, I it, it's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, oh no, Le, Les Demons, uh, Les Demo, uh, but yeah, Jess Franco, and yeah, I mean, but they threw them together, but they're totally unrelated movies, both fantastic. I put in the description, both movies are fantastic, but totally unrelated story wise. <laughs> But this was the East-West DVD company that used to pair up movies that they would buy packages of and put out those little slim case dollar store DVDs that actually holds, have some value now because of the, the you know, weird nature of them. I mean, I sold one uh, to a guy recently for a, a good, decent price that had Satanic Rites of Dracula and, ooh, Torture Chamber, I think. Um, which also were under different names that I had to research and find out. It's it's insane, but yeah. So that that really uh, th that excellent choice there, Michelle. <laughs> well, I, I I know you have mentioned those movies in the past. I know you've mentioned some of the directors, and I remember that when he did it originally, and I was like, oh, I've got to find this if it's if it's available. Kenny will love it, and it shows his detail how detailed mm -hmm. he will go into researching something yeah oh and a fun fact uh asia 10 year old asia argento is uh in demons too so and asia argento has become quite the uh, filmmaker in her own right and uh quite the actress uh, as well so uh dario's daughter of course but wow yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. hysterical yeah. That's uh, actually cool. So yeah, so that was the perfect per perfect thing to pick. Once I found it, I was like, "Yep, I have to have this because we Penny go. will just love it." There we go. All right, thank you, Michelle. Excellent rundown on Joe Bob Briggs' uh, career and and style and 
Uh, and again, the, his attention to detail on all these great movies. Yeah, and I'm going to send Darcy the male girl the pictures of Sharky and Sharkzilla meets Hogzilla, and she will get a kick out of them, I'm guessing. So all she right. will love it. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, oh, oh, yeah, I, uh, I I didn't even see those. I was, uh, 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 oh, <laughs> excellent. Uh, <laughs> Sharky meets Hogzilla, that's great. <laughs> so he's down, he's dead. So good job, Joe and Sharky. He did all the work in shooting. Yeah, <laughs> he would. I mean, he's a multi-talented dog. Just look at his yeah. lineage. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, uh, Miles, are you going to stick around uh, uh, for a little bit longer? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Well, I I'll tell you what. Uh, when we come back, I got no less than four birthday fellas. I'm going to be talking about and giving some movie recommendations. And I tried to pick something for everybody. And just to make sure, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a movie I know Miles will enjoy and probably has seen. And I'd love to get feedback because I think you and Joe, actually, it's, it's a movie. I'll just say that Sean Connery was in it, but it's not a James Bond movie. And uh, but yeah, it, but it also had one Scott Glenn who had a bir- his birthday this week. But I'll be talking about Scott Glenn, Ernest Borgnine. Uh, John Hurt and um, shoot, who was my fourth one? Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Rutger Hauer. So I've got all kinds of fun recommendations for for everybody. Lots of great trailers. We'll be right back with lots more. It came from Cleveland right after this. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. Oh no. Not again. Not recommended for impressionable children. You guys might remember that famous cameo, speaking of horror, poking fun at itself. Uh, John Hurt in Spaceballs. <laughs> What did he order? The special? That's what I ordered! (laughs) Anyway, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, Thank you again, Michelle, for that spectacular hour about Joe Bob Briggs. You are most welcome. I enjoyed it. (laughs) All right. And uh, thank you for the uh, commando raid uh, via canoe story, uh, Miles. Appreciate that. Yes, yes. Thank you. And I'll remember my push-to-talk button is a little, yeah. Yeah, it, it little sticks a little. So uh, that was like, I don't know what he's gonna say, you know. So I'm just like Miles. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, and of course, uh, Joe, excellent stuff about John Belushi and uh, yeah, uh, talent we lost way too soon. Absolutely. So thirty three is way too young. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that's insane. I mean, you know, it's hard to believe that you know. I mean, you know, I made it to 50. That's that's something. So, <laughs> <laughs> I never did speed balls, though, so... Or <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that, would, that's, that would preserve you. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, that'll keep me keep me going. Uh, so all right, yeah, I have a pretty cool grab bag of uh, of movie trailers for everybody right now, and I figured uh, Scott Glenn is one of those actors who has appeared uh, uh, over the years in numerous pictures. His career started in the '70s, and he's still active to this day. Uh, of course, he, you might remember him from The Right Stuff, Space Cowboys, you know, some pretty big blockbusters. Um, and But there's one other blockbuster that I totally forgot he was in, and I just rewatched this movie. It's kind of a movie that I wouldn't typically watch, but I watched it when it first came out in 1990, and I still enjoy it to this day. And, of course, it is the classic submarine adventure, The Hunt for Red October, starring Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. And the cast on The Hunt for Red October is incredible. But Scott Glenn plays the submarine captain of the American sub. Um, and the Dallas. Yeah, the Dallas. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, but the, the, the cast in this film, you've got, you know, uh, uh, James Earl Jones, Sam Neill, uh, Tim Curry, uh, Richard Jordan, uh, who else? Uh, 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 Stellan Skarsgård in a very uh, when he was uh, much younger. Uh, Courtney B. Vance, uh, uh, Joss Ackland, and you know just so many uh, actors, and you just see somebody pop up. Gates McFadden from Star Trek: The Next Generation was in it. Jeffrey Jones from Beetlejuice. I mean, it's it's just a remarkable cast. It's a huge cast. Um, and, uh, this is a movie I think we probably have all seen. And of course this is, uh, isn't this the first movie featuring a, an on-screen portrayal of, um, uh, the, the character of, um, Jack Ryan, which, uh, has been played by several other actors, including Harrison Ford and most recently John Krakowski from the office in the Amazon prime series. Hmm. I think so. I think chronologically in the books, the Patriot Games was first, but I think, yeah, when the movies came out, Hunt for October was first. Yeah, so Tom Clancy, of course, uh, was the one who uh, created the character in uh, the book series. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, and, and it was, this movie was directed by uh, John McTiernan, who uh, you might remember directed a little-known movie called Predator, another tiny little film called Die Hard, uh, the Last Action Hero, uh, The 13th Warrior, The Thomas Crown Affair. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, he, uh, you know, this, this is quite a film. But, yeah, so here's the trailer. And I love this trailer, too, um, the way it ends. And you get to hear, hear a little bit of Scott Glenn in here, too. British intelligence obtained these pictures two days ago. She's the Red October, the latest Typhoon class. Captain's name is Ramius. He's taken out the lead boat in each new subclass for the last 10 years. What are these doors? Those doors, sir, are the problem. They really built this. This isn't a mock-up or anything. She put to sea this morning. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington and New York, and no one would know anything about it until it was all over. Just before he sailed, he posted a letter to Admiral Yuri Padorin, in which he announced his intention to 
identify his missiles on the United States. We sail into history. The entire fleet is our friend. This. Sir, we have been sabotaged. The Russians want us to sink her. We might have to do that. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Sam Neill, Scott Glenn. The hunt for Red October. I'm telling you, he wants to defect. I'll shake the man loose. Rightful rudder. Console, not crazy, Ivan. Hey, I think somebody just shot a torpedo at us. Oh shit, fuck, we get the hell out of here. Wait, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, sheep, fuck, we get the hell out of here. <laughs> Uh, I, I I never remembered that from the end of the trailer. That's I think somebody shot a torpedo at us. <laughs> That's hysterical. I, I did enjoy that movie. Uh, however, the uh, the Russian accent was a bit suspect. A lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of a Scottish Highlands Russian. Yeah, it was. <laughs> a, yeah, it was a, uh, uh, the the Moscow Highlands uh, accent. Um, yeah. And uh, it, go ahead. I, it, it is there is a scene that I I'd love to spoil it, it it was sort of like I'd love to do the background on it um because I've read Tom Clancy books and I've seen the movies and I've I I think it would give it would enhance the watching of this scene mm-hmm. if I might if not I mean I I, I don't want to take up too much of your time well I do have like seven other trailers so uh maybe that could be a part of one of your segments sometime Fair enough. I'll I'll, so, I'll do it in a submarine segment. Sure, sure. There you go. So, uh, but real quick, other actors who have played Jack Ryan, just to uh, 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 Ben Affleck in The Sum of All Fears. I did not know that was uh, a Jack Ryan movie. Uh, Chris Pine, um, a.k.a. the new Captain Kirk, uh, and uh, also in Wonder Woman, um, as um, Steve Trevor, uh, he played Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. Never heard of that movie. Uh, Harrison Ford, Clear and Present Danger, and Alec Baldwin, The Hunt for Red October. John Krasinski on the Tom Clancy TV series. And a guy named Richard Vadan was in a movie in 2011 called Tumors, where he played uh, Jack Ryan. Interesting array of that one. fellas. Yeah, looks like a low-budget one. Um and uh, but all right, so uh, one other from Scott Glenn for and and of course this series uh, this is a trailer for a series uh, from 2015 on Netflix and fortunately for a lot of fans of this series it has now been legitimized as a larger part of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe thanks to the Hawkeye uh, series and Spider-Man. Um, I won't spoil it, but. Spider-Man um, uh, No Way Home has legitimized the 2015 
Daredevil Netflix series starring uh, Scott Glenn as Stick, the guy who trains uh, Matt Murdock to be Daredevil. When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Good and evil. Sometimes the difference between the two is a sharp line. Sometimes it's a blur. Sometimes we have to do things outside of the law. We're gonna make a difference. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we are. You're blind, but you see so much. I hear things. You know what they call stuff like that? Gifts. I'm gonna train you. Use it. There are other ways to see. I don't see the city anymore. There's only dark corners. I'll keep you safe, Karen. I have to be the man the city needs. What are you gonna do? Whatever it takes. We fight every night for something. When the sun sets, we're both the same. You and I have a lot in common. We're nothing alike. Another man's evil does not make you good. I respect your conviction. The lone man thinks he can make a difference. This darkness is the light. I'm just trying to make my city a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer. <laughs> That would explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. <laughs> Little uh, now, see, it, they made these the the series, the Daredevil, and the rest of the Defender series, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, uh, Iron Fist, and then the culmination of that in the Dare or in the Defender series. They made them as if they they were did take place in the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although the higher ups at, at in MC, the MCU were very reluctant to do that because they were really trying to get the Disney Plus thing off the ground, and I and they were trying to pull away the these characters from Netflix, and I think they've come to have a new appreciation for them, especially you know with the culmination of what happened in the Daredevil series, and of course a certain lawyer for Peter Parker, so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, uh now Joe, uh, this is a, a great series. You don't have to know about any of the other Marvel movies. Uh, but if you ever want to do some binge watching on Netflix and you need a new series, check out Daredevil. It's the, especially the first season is very, very good. And it's not really too superhero-y. It's more just action and crime and stuff like that. I think I already saw that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Matt I think Mark we started to watch, I know we mm -hmm. watched... Part of the first season. Yeah, it's the the entire first season is quite incredible, and you don't even see a superhero costume until like the last episode. No, no, so. no, no. Yeah, I, th I think I already saw it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so but you know, the, and again, that's that's uh, our birthday boy Scott Glenn from this week uh, was in that as well. But yeah, and Michelle, you guys watched that one, right? 
Yes. Love Daredevil. Yeah. I mean, that one. I even love the bad Daredevil movies. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know what's interesting, a little bit of trivia, is the original Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck, the character of Happy Hogan was played by none other than, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, oh, 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 he's the guy who's directing Mandalorian who plays um, uh, Tony Stark's sidekick. Uh, oh God, why can't I remember his name? Um, he's dating, he was dating Aunt May in... Uh, Oh gosh. Uh, okay, let me see. I'll just look up the Daredevil movie real quick. Uh, John Favreau, John Favreau, who's who's running a lot of the the Star Wars uh, Disney Plus stuff, and oh, some is he very yeah cool. yeah John Favreau. So they could have done a a multiversal thing there because John Favreau now his character in the MCU is. Um, uh, yeah, he's the creator and the showrunner for The Mandalorian. And, of course, he uh, he's uh, Happy Hogan in the uh, Iron Man series, but he's Foggy Nelson. <laughs> he plays Happy and Foggy. <laughs> so, and he follows around Snow White. Uh, no, just kidding. But, um, uh, but yeah, he played, he played Happy Hogan in Iron Man and then Foggy Nelson in the Daredevil uh, movie. So uh, that's one of those small world Marvel universe things, um, and um, but yeah, so so there you go. There's there's a couple. Let's get to uh, some more stuff here. Um, the uh, yeah, I've got some great stuff here. Let's get to um, uh, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, because, you took four really cool names. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and I picked uh, uh, two of my favorite sci-fi movies that Ernest Borgnine was in, and the first one being a uh, mu much more prominent role for him. Uh, but it's the nineteen nine or nineteen eighty one movie, uh, a Disney movie, which is just insane. It's the Black Hole. And it is, it's like a horror movie in space. And what a fantastic cast on that. Anthony Perkins was in it er, alongside Ernest Borgnine and Robert Forster. And, um, oh, you love saying her name too, Joe. Uh, what is it? Yvette Mimieux? Uh, Mimieux. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mimieux. And um, uh, Maximilian Schell. Uh, was in it. And, but this movie, uh, Miles, you're, you're familiar with the black hole, right? The oh yeah, with Maximilian, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It it is it uh, it it strikes me as being very horrific. Uh, there are a lot of horrific elements to this movie. Oh um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it I was think traumatic. it was Disney's first PG. Yeah, yeah, and it, rightfully so because it was it was dark. But yeah, Ernest Borgnine was in this, and uh, you'll hear a little bit of him in the trailer too. There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe, where the here and now may be forever. On my ship, you ask. unavoidable moving through space 
swallowing everything in its path. Radio waves, light. Are you programmed to speak? Even planets and stars. Straight for the black hole. What'll we do? We wait. So, uh, you know, th- this movie, again, uh, one of your favorites, uh, uh, Michelle, um, I forgot about this, Roddy McDowell, uh, voiced one of the Maximilian robots. Maximilian Shell? Yeah. And uh, Roddy McDowell uh, and Slim Pickens were both uncredited, uh, and they provided the voices of the two robots, uh, Bob and um, I forget uh, the other one's name. Um if I find the cast, uh, let me see. Uh, Roddy McDowell was Vincent, and Slim Pickens was Bob. So old. Yeah, Bob. there were some goofy robots in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, then, and some creepy ass robots too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the the uh, Joe. Did you have you seen Barbarella? Oh Jane, yes, Jane Fonda. You remember the oh, leather? Yes. You remember the Leathermen in that movie? Those creepy ass mm-hmm. like hollow guys made out of leather armor. Um, mm-hmm. the, the robots in, in this, the, the red robots, the, uh, the evil robots reminded me of those guys always gave me the willies that movie, um, uh, Barbarella. I saw that when I was young and that, that movie freaked me out. So, <laughs> I mean, the dolls with the sharp metal teeth and everything. Oh my God. So, and of course that's where the name of the band Duran Duran came from as well. Barbarella, by the way. So 
because the villain in Barbarella was Duran Duran. And then Duran Duran later went on to write a song called Electric Barbarella. So what do you think of that? Now my head is swimming. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) uh, uh, another movie with an excellent cast from 1997, a dystopian sci-fi movie. Uh, Miles, I'm sure you've seen this one. Uh, I would I'd be shocked if you hadn't, but uh, the cast, uh, th- this has Ernest Borgnine in a small role, but stars Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, Alan Arkin, Jude Law, uh, Lauren Dean, and of course Ernest Borg- Borgnine and a lot of other familiar faces, uh, Gattaca from 1997. Do you remember this one, Miles? Is that about genetics? Yes, about tracking I... people with the 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 the, the, the cells that they shed and their dna and everything and uh, i honestly segre- have not okay. seen that movie it's not that i don't want to yeah. i just it's just a movie i never got around to watching but i know i know it's about genetics <laughs> yeah it's it's a great movie it's been a long time since i've seen it the cast is just remarkable i mean come on ethan hawk uma thurman alan arkin jude law and of course ernest borgnine in a smaller supporting role uh, but yeah, this is this is a great one. So here, here's the trailer for this one. Genetics. What can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics of every unborn child. In the not-too-distant future... In the not-too-distant future... Our DNA (laughs) will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood. Saliva. Or a single hair. Determines where you can work. Who you should marry. What you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection, one man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are, what you are? I have a feeling you might be there under false pretenses, playing somebody else's hand. They've got my picture plastered up all over the place. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. They are going to find me. But in a place where any cell from any part of your body can betray you. How do you hide when we all shed 500 million cells a day? Ethan Hawke. Uma Thurman. Welcome to Gattaca. You forgot Ernest Borgnine. That's what this segment's about. Ernest Borg died. Uh, there you go. So Gattaca, great movie. Absolutely fantastic movie. Joe, is this one that you've seen? No, I did yeah. not. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's uh, 
it's sci-fi that's not too, you know, it's, there's no spaceships or anything like that. You know, if you like something like 1984 or uh, uh, Brazil, things like that, this is, you know, a, a good way to go. Oh, Tennessee, you messed up your box. Right. I heard that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a, a, I gave him a, a new cardboard box. He gets a new cardboard box like every couple of days when we get a shipment of something in. Not every couple of days, like every week. And I let him rip it up, and then I throw it out. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, it, it, only if it's a useless box, like if it's a you know a, something I can't reuse. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, th seriously, this is a, this is a great film. Michelle, do you think you've seen this one before, Gattaca? Oh, I have definitely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Excellent cast. Absolutely excellent cast. Oh, Gore Vidal uh, has a, a small role in this too. I forgot about that. So you gotta you gotta see it now, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> I <glorified> it all. <laughs> so it, it's almost like fascism on the extreme, if you think about it. Yeah. You know, you're being, you know, you are told what you are yes. by your genes, and that just sucks. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, quite a commentary on you know, like racism, or you know, based on you know your sexuality, things like that. Yeah, it's but the, it, that, it's, that it's even, it, but it's deeper than that. It's genes well, because, yeah, you know, I'm if you look at all the races, all the races are represented. It just depends on what your genes say you're. Oh, you're absolutely. What, I, what I'm saying is it's like a, it's like a hyper, uh, you know, it's, it's a way to, like sci-fi does social commentary a lot. It's just yes. kind of uh, elevating that, you know, like, you know, how Planet of the Apes was kind of, about uh you know uh, a lot of social commentary from the 60s and whatnot so yep. um but yeah so this is a, a pretty high concept movie pretty fun um and uh it involves a fake penis as well there you oh, go there you go we need so. felicia rose to <laughs> determine if that fake penis is realistic or not <laughs> there you go there you go so uh, anyway, um, we uh, we got to get going to the break, but uh, the, we've got the return from uh, the prodigal son uh, Adam Hebert, and uh, he's got uh, the new uh, mythical moment number twenty-eight. I won't spoil the title because it's kind of cool, and it's a. I'll, I'll just say this: it's a sweet title. Oops. Let's let's see who gets that. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment 28, Kitsune, Foxes on the Run. One of the most famous and popular yokai in Japan is the creature known as the Kitsune. Kitsune is the Japanese word for fox, and it refers to both the normal everyday fox we know and love, as well as the supernatural ones that can be seen all across Japanese culture and literature, video games, and anime. The word kitsune seems to originate from the archaic Japanese word for the cry of a fox, rendered in Japanese as kits. Fun fact, many Japanese words originate as forms of onomatopoeia. Like many kinds of animal yokai, supernatural kitsune tend to begin as normal creatures who gain magical powers by living to an extremely old age, typically starting at around 100 years old. These magical powers are typically reflected in the number of tails a kitsune has, with one being the least powerful and nine being the most powerful. 
Please note that from here on, all uses of the word kitsune will refer to the yokai. When referencing the real-life animal, I'll use the word fox. Kitsune, like foxes around the world, are seen as consummate tricksters and pranksters. Gifted with shape-shifting and illusions, many enjoy playing jokes on proud, greedy, or arrogant humans, such as assuming the forms of attractive young women and laying with men. Kitsune are often portrayed as having what is known as a hoshi no tama, or a starball. Carried in their mouths as foxes and their hands as humans, these orbs are said to contain at least a portion of their supernatural power. Kitsune can be roughly divided into two camps, with one being relatively benevolent and the other mischievous and even malicious towards humans. Benevolent Kitsune, or Zenko, literally good foxes, are celestial foxes that are often employed as messengers by the kami, much like Shika, or divine deer. Most Zenko have an association with Inari Okami, the kami of foxes, rice, tea, and sake. Kitsune can be roughly divided into two camps, with one being relatively benevolent and the other mischievous and even malicious towards humans. Benevolent Kitsune, or Zenko, literally good foxes, are celestial foxes that are often employed as messengers by the kami, much like Shika, or divine deer. Most Zenko have an association with Inari Okami, the kami of foxes, rice, tea, and sake. The other branch of the Kitsune family is the Yako branch, or literally bad fox, also known as no Kitsune. Like the Kappa, see Mythical Moment 2, these tend to be malicious towards humans and are known for causing a condition known as Kitsune Suki, which is literally the state of being possessed by a Kitsune and will usually require the aid of a Buddhist priest to drive the possessor away. It should be noted that the two primary religions of Japan, Shinto and Buddhism, seem to have diametrically opposed views of Kitsune. Shinto apparently views Kitsune as either playful tricksters or messengers of the kami, while Buddhism tends to view them as malicious possessors who seek to amplify and exploit human vices. Another interesting fact is that the general population of Japan as a whole soured on their views of Kitsune during the Edo period while the Tokugawa shogunate ruled, viewing the yokai as witch animals. The other branch of the Kitsune family is the Yako branch, or literally Bad Fox, also known as No Kitsune. Like the Kappa, see Mythical Moment 2, these tend to be malicious towards humans and are known for causing a condition known as Kitsune Suki, which is literally the state of being possessed by a Kitsune and will usually require the aid of a Buddhist priest to drive the possessor away. It should be noted that the two primary religions of Japan, Shinto and Buddhism, seem to have diametrically opposed views of Kitsune. Shinto apparently views Kitsune as either playful tricksters or messengers of the kami, while Buddhism tends to view them as malicious possessors who seek to amplify and exploit human vices. Another interesting fact is that the general population of Japan as a whole soured on their views of Kitsune during the Edo period while the Tokugawa shogunate ruled, viewing the yokai as witch animals. Both Zenko and Yako Kitsune are capable of using what is known as Kitsune-bi, or foxfire, a sort of illusionary flame similar to will-o'-wisps, although they use them for different ends. Yako Kitsune use their foxfire to lead travelers off their paths or into danger. Whether it's because of their affiliation with Inari Okami, or the other way around, Kitsune absolutely love rice. It is frequently left as offerings to Kitsune to get favor from either them or the kami that they serve. Those who are under the effects of Kitsune Suki have intense cravings for it, and these cravings tend to be the telltale sign of possession. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert reminding you that if you or someone that you love suffers from Kitsune Suki, be sure to cook some rice and call your local Buddhist priest. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, 
who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Thanks, Alexander. I think I'll have me a little drinky-winky. Yeah, it's Friday. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Yeah, you get it? Sweet title. Fox on the run. Yeah. So, <laughs> Kit- Kitsune are amazing. I love them. Very cool. I got a lot of... Ta- that's a lot of tail. So... Uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the nine tails. And the yeah. nine tails are really potent. <laughs> so, uh, all right, well, welcome back. Uh, Miles, you still there with us? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, but I'm still here. Well, you can duck out anytime you want. Uh, we, you know, we're just uh, doing a couple more, few, well, four more trailers here, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, we got uh, two more birthday fellas to go with. Uh, sadly, two guys that we have lost um, in recent years. Um, but I want to start with, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, and of course, welcome back, Michelle and Joe. What were you going to say, uh, Michelle? Um, yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, sorry, Yvette. Uh, what was her name? Um, Yvette Mimax. Mimu. She just recently died. She just died this year in January. Oh dear. Hmm. So, well, when's her yeah, birthday? I was, look, I was looking her up, and like, she, yeah, she just died in 2022. I'm like, wow. Do you, do you see when her birthday is? Because we could probably cover uh, her. January down, 8th. Uh, she January. Just, oh. Yep. Yeah, 8th. Yeah. <laughs> Damn she it. She just died January 17th. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, man, our show just gets more and more morbid as we go along. Well, um, we're old, so. <laughs> True, true. And Joe's older than the rest of us, so there you go. So, That's right. Uh, mentally, I'm older than all of you because I'm a very grumpy old man. Um, well, I, I so. would doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, what, uh, what, uh, what a great uh, talent in, in a loss that we had with uh, uh, Rutger Hauer passed, passed away. Oh, yes. In um, the last uh, few years he passed away uh, in july of 2019 at the age of 75 that's too young um but uh he uh uh, uh this is interesting he he was a dutch actor and in 1999 he was named by the dutch public as the best dutch actor of the century um and of course he's been he, he was um Got a, one of his early start uh, movies when he got a start was Turkish Delight, where he uh, did the leading role, and of course uh, he was in Nighthawks, Blade Runner, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sure, yeah, Lady Hawk, The Hitcher, The Hitcher, classic horror movie. Oh yeah, um, and yes, yeah. I, I mean that's that's fantastic. Batman Begins, Blind uh, Justice. He was in Smallville as well and Sin City, ton of different things, but. He did a lot of really cool indie movies and uh, a, a lot of horror, a lot of sci-fi. And that's what I'm going to focus on is a couple of, of his more uh, recent films. Uh, and this one, my good friend, uh, our, our good friend, P.S. Mueller, recommended this movie to me way back when it first came out in 2011. 
Uh, and it is a it's a dark comedy kind of dystopian dystopian present almost because it didn't feel very futuristic. Um, uh, movie called uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. Great title. And the pro the 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 largesse of this uh, trailer is him standing in a hospital uh, maternity ward in front of a bunch of uh, babies in incubators. Don't worry, he doesn't do anything cruel or unusual to the babies. But he gives this speech in front of these babies behind the glass about what kind of world uh, they're living in. And, um, and then he says, uh, you know, you, you, you'll turn out this way, you'll turn out this way, you'll turn out this way, or you could turn out like me, and then, well, you'll, you'll hear it. I used to be like you a long time ago. They're all brand new and perfect. No mistakes, no regrets. People look at you and think of how wonderful your future will be. They want you to be something special, like a, a doctor or a lawyer. hate to tell you this, but if you grow up here, you're more likely to wind up selling your bodies on the streets, or shooting dope from dirty needles in a bus stop. And if you're successful, you'll make money selling junk to crackheads. And they won't think twice about killing someone's wife you won't even know what's wrong in the first place. Maybe you end up like me. The hobo with a shotgun. Michelle, you you uh, nailed it. it. It you said the movie looks very grindhousey. That's exactly what kind of movie it is. So yeah, when I, when I saw that image in the trailer of the Santa driving the car with a kid in the back pounding at the back window, I was like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> well, there's some payoff on that one. <laughs> Let me say tell you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great movie. It's a it's a great dark comedy. Uh, and I, I highly, uh, recommend this to anybody. Um, yeah, I've seen clips of it before. I've never actually seen the movie. Now I have to see the movie. (laughs) Yeah. If you can stomach gore, um, it's fine. And if you have a hard time finding it, I have a copy for sale in my store right now, (laughs) alongside the next film I'm going to talk about. (laughs) You shameless promoter, you. I'm a whore. (laughs) I'm a whore over here. 
Um, yeah, I've, I've I've listened to the Thursday night show. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So um, that was it, fun. But yeah, so uh, now this is a movie I just found, and I've added it to my playlist. A uh, Rutger Hauer movie from 2013, um, under the name. Oh, oh, I'm about to get Miles' ears to perk up. RPG, aka real playing game. So. Uh, this one is a sci-fi movie uh, with a, uh, some horror elements to it. And basically what it is is Rugger Hauer is, you know, he's playing an older, you know, person. And there's a company that is offering kind of eternal youth through a computer program where you, you get to retain your mind, but you have a youthful body in this um, multi player universal game but there's a twist and the trailer will kind of lay that out Welcome to RPG, Mr. Batier. RPG is biotechnology's neurocellular answer to man's oldest aspiration, eternal youth. An old brain in a new body. It sounds heavenly. Let's play. Let's play. better if you find a way out of this place. There's no way out. Who are you? I'm the gamekeeper. And you are the players. Only one will be alive at the end of the game. You can only kill someone when you know who the real person behind the body is. You just need to tell me who you are. You killed someone. You killed someone and you have no idea who you killed. Get ready. You're next. It will be an experience to remember. So yeah, this one looks really fun. Uh, it looks a little low budget, but uh, I... I I like the premise of it, and it has Rutger Hauer. <laughs> so it doesn't need, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this, the, you know, again, try to pick a little bit of something, you know, not uh, straight up horror for everybody, but, um, uh, you know, and, and some classics too that I know we've all seen. Now, now, Joe, I'm sure you've seen it, and of course, we've talked about this movie and different iterations. Uh, we talked about Vincent Price and um, I believe David Niven. Was it David Niven that did uh, different versions of the radio or uh, radio adaptations of uh, George Orwell's 1984? Um, and uh, of course, our last birthday for the week. Of course, we we talked about him last week. John Hurt in The Elephant Man. But uh, uh, shortly after The Elephant Man came out, 1984, 
1984 came out about the book 1984. <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> yes, with a pretty wretched soundtrack by the Eurythmics, I will say. I hate that soundtrack. Um, I love the Eurythmics, but it was a little kind of clunky. Yeah, and unfortunately this trailer uh, has a little bit of that in it. But yeah, Joe, though, you, you've seen uh, the 1984 version of the Orwell story, right? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, it's a great... Uh, uh, the the uh, um, uh, Richard Burton is in it as well, uh, and he's terrifying. Um, the, uh, uh, let me see. Yeah, 1984 movie. There we go. Oh, come on. <laughs> so, uh, 1984, Orwell, uh, I'll have to do that, because it's like, oh, here's movies that came out in 1984. Let me go down and find adaptations. Um, yeah, but, uh... Okay, there we go. There was a 1956 adaptation and uh, 1984. Yeah, was th this one had uh, John Hurt, Richard Burton, Susanna Hamilton, and Cyril Cusack. Um, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, there was, <laughs> oh, there's a controversy over the score. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh... Yeah, Virgin Films, uh, formerly of the Virgin Group, who financed the film, commissioned the British rock-pop duo The Rhythmics to produce the music for the soundtrack after initially approaching David Bowie, who, however, demanded too much money for the job. Interesting. Oh, my God, a Bowie uh, soundtrack for 1984, Michelle? How freaking cool oh, would that have been? Oh, that would have been amazing. So uh, Radford objected to Version's insistence on using the more pop-oriented electronic Eurythmics music as the traditional orchestral score originally intended for the film to be composed entirely by Dominic Muldowney a few months later. So, uh, But it's, it says against Radford's wishes, Version exercised their right on final uh, of final cut and replaced Muldowney's musical cues with new Eurythmics contributions one Eurythmic song's Julia was also heard in its entirety during the film's closing credits. Uh, however, Muldowney's main theme music, particularly the state anthem, Oceana, Tis for Thee, was prominently used in the film. Wow. So, th and th this is, there's like several. And the Eurythmics were not happy once they found out that there was a conflict. So that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but you'll hear some of it in this trailer because it's. It really cheapens the 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 movie in, in a certain way, but you it does not take away from the performances, especially from Richard Burton and uh, uh, of course uh, John Hurt. Barf. The world we are in will be sick. It's a constant victory, a constant triumph. You are beginning to accept it. We'll soon welcome it. And finally, become part of it.
1949, George Orwell had a vision of the future. Today, that vision is still a best-selling novel, and his prophecy remains as terrifying as ever. If you want a vision of the future, Winston, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. A future where freedom becomes slavery. Where privacy is forbidden, the past forgotten, and where living people simply vanish. Yet one man and one woman dare to love. Can you get Sunday afternoon off? Yes. Take this. Everyone knows. The thing that is in room 101 is the worst thing in the world. We can't get inside you. We can't get to your heart. John Hurt, Susanna Hamilton, Cyril Cusack, and Richard Burton in the crowning role of his career. What are your true feelings towards Big Brother? I hate him. You must love him. It's not enough to obey him. You must love him. The film of the book of the year. George Orwell's 1984. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, don't let that, uh, th- there needs to be a recut of that movie if there isn't one out there already, and that, that music needs to be taken out. It's terrible. <laughs> it doesn't fit. I mean, it's great music, but it really doesn't fit the whole feel of of 1984 at all. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I, like I just said, it's, it's like walking a broken glass. Yeah. Not comfortable. <laughs> no, yeah, so it was, uh, it was not good. So, uh, but, uh, all right. Uh, the last trailer is pretty short, so I'm just going to run to it. Um, but yeah, again, Richard Burton's performance in this movie, it was, it really was almost a role of a lifetime. Uh, like they say in the trailer, uh, really incredible. Uh, Richard Burton was a great actor, but, uh, this was, you know, this was really top notch and the, the scenes of, um, Winston Smith, uh, played by John Hurt, being uh, uh, interrogated and tortured by him are just bone chilling, just bone chilling, you know. Oh uh, yeah. So how many fingers? Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, uh, this one is a real underrated uh, classic. I've talked about it a few times. It is a crazy movie. It's a wonderful movie. Came out in 1990, starring John Hurt and Raul Julia uh, and Bridget Fonda. Directed by Roger Corman, Frankenstein Unbound. Here you go. Love it. 30 years ago, Roger Corman began to explore the dark side of the American psyche with movies like The Undead, The Pit and the Pendulum, and the original. Little Shop of Horrors. Now, he feels the world is ready for the greatest horror story ever told, as it's never been told before. There's not a lot of dialogue here, so I'll just play the clips. That guy needs to chill out! Such 
Corman as Frankenstein Unbound, starring John Hurt, Raul Julia, and Bridget Fonda, directed by Roger Corman. That guy needs to chill out. Yeah, that's not in the trailer. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what a wild cast. That was, you know, early uh, role for Bridget Fonda, obviously. But, you know, there you go, Adam Raul Julia. Uh, I know Adam is a, was a huge fan of him from uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, he played, what, Bison in uh, the... Uh, um, oh, gosh, the Street Fighter movie. And, of course, he was in classics like Kiss of the Spider Woman, and he played um, Gomez Adams in The Adams Family, uh, and, and tons of other stuff. He was another guy we lost way, way, way too young. Kiss of the Spider Woman, if you've never seen that movie, with uh, uh, Raul Julia and William Hurt, not to be confused with John Hurt, um, beautiful movie, beautiful movie. It, disturbing, but beautiful at the same time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there you go. There's, there's, uh, eight movies for you to ponder. Uh, a lot of them, many of us have seen some we haven't one. I haven't seen, I really want to see real playing game, AKA RPG, uh, from 2013 with Rutger Hauer. Um, so, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's, that's it. We're at the end of the show. We did it. Another, another show in the bag. So, um, all right. So, uh, final thoughts, uh, any, uh, so you're Michelle, you're going to watch Hobo with shotgun then, right? Oh, hell yeah. Now yeah. I realize how so. cool that movie is. The, the Santa Claus and, and the car with the kid that clinched it for me. I have to see what happens to the kid. There so. you go. There you go. You, no, you need to see what happens to the Santa Claus. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Yeah. And, uh, but anything else, Michelle, you want to add before we, uh, wrap things up? Um, no, I just want to let you know we have lost Miles. He has gone to bed. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good night, Miles. It was uh, he did, a, and, and thank thank you to Miles for bringing a little more flavor to the show with a little bit of history. We always appreciate that uh, on the program. And uh, who canoe? What commander yeah, yes. would do? Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, and uh, great job uh, on the uh, Joe Bob Briggs stuff. That was really cool. I like that a lot. Oh, thank you. I guess I was, once I realized it was his birthday, I, I was worried. I did not have enough. But once I started looking into him yeah. and remembering all the fun stuff, because I remember him on TMC, I, I, on, mm -hmm. on the, you know, and I, I, uh, I remember him everywhere. She, he just, I love horror movie hosts. I just and love he, that they, the people keep giving him jobs uh, because, yeah, you know, he cool. does, he does a fantastic uh, job hosting and you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for horror hosts. Yeah, uh, Leopold and Lenora. I watch mm -hmm. them every 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 week. It's great. Oh, I can God, watch yeah. them on the on the app. I can't and, believe um, they did Beast of Yucca Flats a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh my God, they did Beast of Yucca Flats. Terrible movie. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, all of them. And I, that movie's I, only what? an hour long, and I was like, how the hell are they going to do this? They went to a commercial break like every five minutes on that movie. <laughs> And I love hysterical. the classic stuff they bring out of the vaults, yes. too. The old commercials and the old charity stuff and the old holiday stuff. It's oh, amazing. Great. Fantastic stuff. All right. And Joe, all right, uh, you get to, we got about a minute left. What do you got, Joe? Well, um, Sunday on the Tim Cormall Show, we'll be finding out what Joe Biden thinks of Peter Ducey's friends. <laughs> 
And uh, <laughs> let's see, um, the Haunted Strangler is at Spinguli this week. Oh, nice. Ooh. Yes. And uh, I just start watching a, a Netflix uh, series called uh, Archive 18. Okay. Uh, it's it's about a guy that re uh, touches up and restores old damaged videotapes. Oh. And yeah, he runs into a a really interesting videotape. Oh. Yes, it's a horror thriller, and it involves people like Kenny who sell used VHS tapes. In fact, that's the opening scene. <laughs> I have I have to check it out then. I test yes, mine. Yes. I test mine first. So um. the opening scene, the uh, the main character is on Times Square going up to uh, a seller on the street who sells used videotapes for a couple bucks a pop. So, uh, yeah, uh, check that one out. All right. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Joe. Great stuff on John Belushi, and I hope you guys have a blast on episode 639 of the Tim Carmel Show this Sunday. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we'll all talk to you guys next month on It Came From Cleveland, right? That's right. Yeppers. All right. Have a great night, everybody. Stay safe. Stay warm. Stay warm. Uh, and uh, wear some snow boots or something. My God. Mm. Not me. <laughs> <laughs>